0: Thank you for tuning in and welcome to the special summer episode of This Justin Radio. We're broadcasting live from my Atlanta studios. I'm here with Roberta Mullen from Healthcare Now Radio. Welcome to the studio as well, Roberta.
1: Justin, I'm so glad to be here.
0: I'm looking forward to this. We're going to have a great three hours. Um, we decided to do this show. About a month and a half ago, uh, we do a hymns radio show, hymns annual conference uh, every year. I think we just uh, decided we're going to do our sixth one coming up uh, in March um, he, uh, there in Orlando. Uh, but we decided, you know what, let's do a mid-year check-in, has some great guests, and actually, one of my guests just walked into the studio, uh, Jeff Brown, CIO of Piedmont Healthcare, and we're going to certainly look forward to speaking with Jeff here in a few minutes. But um but we decided, you know what, let's do a mid year check in on where healthcare is headed, innovation, strategy in public policy. Uh, and it's just an exciting time in our industry, uh, great evolutions across the board and we're really starting to see some outcomes from technology. We've always had the promises of what technology and innovation can deliver, but we're really starting to see I call it innovation enabled outcomes. And so excited to get into some of that today. Just a terrific lineup. This is my 182nd episode and due to some of Roberta's magic, I'm sure she's <laughs> going to be able to spread this out to a couple more shows coming up. Again, this is going to be a 3-hour live broadcast and I wish someone was across from me when I decided to do a three hour show and bonk me on the head (laughs) because I scheduled no breaks for myself at all. And, um, yeah, but, but we'll make it happen. And certainly if I need to take a quick uh, quote unquote, a station break, Roberta, you can step in, um, and uh, and certainly Stone, you are here as uh, as well, my friend. Stone is a great partner of my show. You've been with me for gosh since the day, really day one.
2: Hey, I absolutely love doing this with you. It beats the heck out of working. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you actually joined. I think it was tw- hymns fifteen. We were in Chicago. And uh, and you and I opened up, and I think it was a 90 minute or a two hour straight broadcast. My very first time ever doing a radio show, never mind a live broadcast.
2: Well, you'd have never known it. It came off extremely well. I think that's why you're in such demand now. You promised me a nice meal and a walk by the lake, and I said, <laughs> color me there.
0: There right? you go. You, you did. You were fantastic. I appreciate you. I appreciate your partnership. You guys have been so supportive. Uh, again, um, Stone with Business Radio X, Stone Payton with Business Radio X, they have been great. But I will say, the person who I owe this all to is Roberta Mullen from Healthcare Now Radio. I remember she, my, uh, back in 2013, in tw- late 2012, 2013, she posed the idea of doing a radio show. And I just, I didn't really have the bandwidth. We're still building the company at the time or, or getting ready to sell it, actually. And, uh, but then I think the day we decided to sell it, I reached out and say, all right, let's talk about this some more. And you immediately came back and say, how about we call it This Just In Radio?
1: I actually remember remember when we met at when you were the at the Georgia Tech.
0: Yes. Do you remember entrepreneur resident there? You yes. You were the,
1: uh, yes. and you brought me down there to, yes. to show me that. And, That's right. Um and and we really do have to give props to Atlanta because yes. you can't really do this show you can't really do this show everywhere, right? Yikes. But Atlanta health IT is big and our health systems are really big. We have Piedmont, yeah. Emory, we've got uh we got a good ecosystem here. So yeah. Um, that's why we're able to do this.
0: Yeah, we do. I mean, building on that, we actually have, I mean, at any given time, 250 healthcare and health IT companies just in the metro region. In our surrounding twelve counties, so it is an amazing, amazing epicenter for healthcare and health IT. Uh, again, we'll get to we'll be speaking with Jeff here in a little bit. Jeff Brown, CIO of Piedmont Healthcare, but a great innovator uh, in, in his facility. They have been phenomenal partners because so it's not just about what the innovators do, but we need the colleges to give us the graduates to give us our entrepreneurs for our companies. But then also we need the uh, health systems to step up and, and, and pioneer some of our innovations and take them on and help us build them. And Piedmont, oh gosh, they've had numerous innovations. There uh, that um, work early But now much more mature but they've done a great job Helping foster some of those innovations from Our community so we're grateful for what Piedmont Your new uh, cardiac wing yeah, there you go. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but uh, you know, again, a, a great uh, show coming up. We have twelve amazing industry thought leaders joining the show, uh, and uh, as well as three of healthcare's top policymakers calling in, starting at twelve fifteen p.m. So you can certainly check out our run a show. Uh, it's amazing. These are all not only great people, great thought leaders, but uh, I'm grateful they're also very good friends of mine. Um, every one of them. And so I'm great. Uh, I'm grateful for this opportunity today. Uh, hopefully, it's going to make sure for some great radio. I know. We're going to make some great podcasts from this later on. And I'm I'm grateful for that for you, uh, Roberta, really carrying on uh, this message. Um, And and then today's broadcast, if you ever join us before, at in our our hymns 15, hymns 16, hymns 17, hymns 18, hymns 19, and soon hymns 20, uh, these broadcasts really do um, bring you the latest innovations, technology, strategies, and best practices to to successfully navigate healthcare. And uh, in come March uh, for hymns 20, Again, we'll be doing this again live there from the show floor, uh, and we'll bring the most sought-after CIOs, CEOs, care providers, policymakers, and healthcare visionaries. And as always, you'll be able to stream us at brxlive.com, thisjustinradio.com, and certainly healthcarenowradio.com. We expect over 50,000 listeners today, and hopefully our network will continue to grow. Um, So certainly tune in in March when we do another live broadcast. And I certainly want to take a moment here to thank our show's long-term partners, you know, Lenovo, Lenovo Health, Intel, Intel Health, our new partner, Rama, on healthcare, but Rama and I have been good friends. He has the best daily um, thought leadership and just, uh, compilation of healthcare stories, uh, coming through. So check out Raman Healthcare. He's fantastic. Great partner of mine. He's a great visionary as well, but he really showcases all the top stories of the day that happen in healthcare. Uh, and then certainly my studio partners, healthcare now radio and business radio X, you guys are phenomenal. I'm grateful for your partnership. You guys have been supporting me now for, for five, six years, and it's been a great, uh, a great journey. So let's dive in a little bit. Um, To, uh, I guess, you know, what are your thoughts on where we should go um, coming up, even this fall? I mean, I know we're going to talk about a little bit today. We have some great thought leaders, Roberta. um, But uh, I would love to know your thoughts on some of my ONC guests that are coming up. Um, I know we've got some rules that are in the wind, and so this can be an exciting day. Maybe they can announce something. Maybe they can – we'll just talk about where we are. But what are some of your thoughts?
1: Well, I'm very excited to, to hear the ONC, uh, yep. to be this close to the, actually <laughs> speaking to them. Um, I'm very excited uh, for the ONC, especially with, uh, Steve Posnack. Uh, he, his new position, he has been, uh, a really great, stable person yes. there. Um, uh, Rutgers is, has been a great for, for what we've got with the turmoil that we've got going on right now. Yeah. Um, that, that department and office there has really stayed the course yes. and have been really happy about that. Yep. You know, um, CMS. All over the kind of all over the place. But um, I think ONC have been really, really happy about that. So I'm really excited to hear from them. Uh, We're still in a comment period to the big rules that are out right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure. um, I'm not sure they're going to say anything, but they always have something to say.
0: Yeah, no, they have some great guidance and hopefully Mm -hmm. and we'll see and we'll see what they have to say. I'm Dr. Don Rucker, who is a national coordinator. Uh, he's uh, He comes from actually uh, the vendor side of the, the house, and now sure. he's on the policy side and, mm-hmm. and um, the government side. And he's uh, a great partner of the industry, and he's just done, done a great job in his leadership position. And now Steve Posnack, uh, he's just – like you said, he's been a mainstay forever. Steve's a great guy, a great policymaker. Um, he listens to the industry. He's in touch with the industry. He knows the ebbs and flows. He knows the life cycles of products. And so he knows mm-hmm. how to write the, the regulatory requirements around that very well, in my opinion at least. Mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for and the whole for, industry. And
1: but. don't forget Stan. He is the standards, standards man. <laughs> yes, he is the standards man in healthcare. Mr. Standards. Yes. <laughs> um,
0: so uh, very excited. And then certainly having um, uh, Catherine Marchesini, the uh, ch- chief policy officer. From privacy. Privacy officer. Mm-hmm. Chief privacy officer right. for ONC and HHS.
1: She's one of the attorneys there. Yes. yes. She's new. And she, she seems to be really uh, coming into her own there yes. too. Yeah. I, I, I'm just really happy. I was, uh, I was worried about – Everybody turning there, but they didn't. And it was it's been very good because this this the industry um the IT side of things really needs to stay the course. Yes. Has to.
0: Yep. And they've done a very good job. And so mm-hmm. we're hopefully we looking forward to some announcements maybe today. Um and certainly seeing where some of this uh this goes. Um mm-hmm. but then also um, you know, even talking, you know, we're gonna have some great innovations coming up here. Uh, we're gonna hear about uh, it's really kind of cool. You're gonna hear Uh, from HIMSS directly, but then also in some of their thoughts for where the industry is going. I'm sure some placeholders from what we're going to see for HIMSS 20, again, coming in early March uh, in Orlando. And I'll talk a little bit about about that at the um, 1130 hour, uh, but certainly want to get everybody um, seeing what's coming, understanding what's coming, but also making your reservations. There's probably going to be 35, 40,000 of us there in Orlando. It grows every year. But uh, I'm going to give you a little word but of encouragement. But Orlando
1: occurred. doesn't grow. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very true.
0: Very true. Um, but I want you to make reservations. I think, you know, my insider track, I've been going for 22 years. And again, I'll cover all this later on as well. But um, to make hotel reservations now, if not, you get stuck four or five miles out from the convention center. And it's just much more inhibiting. When we move very quickly while we're there, you want to be able to run in back and forth to your hotel room and just get around. And, and so book your hotel room early. Uh, and get your um, reservation early there. Uh, it'll make your life so much easier. Certainly, if you want to book in 15, 20, 30 meetings, uh, you want to have easy access to your room uh, and just moving around. So I'll give you some insider tips.
1: You know, I, I know you're going to talk to um, your people today about the innovations, what they're doing. You've got some really uh, cool yes. uh, new companies and and yep. stay fast. But, you know, I'm on the new side. So <clears throat> on the new side, I think that uh, – some of the really interesting things right now are in the telemedicine side. Yes. And telemedicine is not new. It's been right. around for decades. It has. The military used, I believe, in the Vietnam War. Right. Okay. But you look <laughs> at that, you look at that, you know, telemedicine now and every day I read, um, about the new ways they're doing it. The, uh, that yeah. they're using mobile technology. We have so many different devices and we have so many people now getting involved in their in their healthcare that it's the, it's the most interesting to me it's the most interesting you can talk about ai you can talk about population health you can talk we've been talking about that right. but telemedicine has done the biggest the biggest growth in the and just like really innovative stuff going on there to yeah. meet the needs of the next generation that is so different g- coming up. You know, Correct. they want their, their health care like they want to go to dinner. Right. They, they do not want, you know, their father's health care. Right. They don't. Mm-mm.
0: No, good. You bring a great <clears> point. <throat> actually, just reading from a timely basis here, um, Cleveland Clinic provided 46,000 telehealth visits in 2018. That actually mm-hmm. came across my Rama feed this morning. So ironically, um, you bring up telemedicine. I just read mm-hmm. that. But I mean, I the thing with telemedicine and telehealth is I think what you it's finally been integrated into the care strategy and care mm-hmm. plan for the patient. It's not a standalone. In my opinion, when telemedicine was first rolled out, it was it was really rolled out in a standalone, um, mm-hmm. one vertical, maybe for to help with the ER overflow or just you know individual patient visits uh, that are kind of the one offs. And there is a model for that, but it wasn't as strong as people wanted. And again, it was not integrated into the care plan. Now it's getting much more integrated in the care plan. I'm the chairman of a of a company here in Georgia that's rolling out, but, but telemedicine is a central part of the entire care strategy from the doctor. It's, it's, it's integrated with a, with the doctor. The doctor's visits on a daily basis. They can see all their patients via telehealth, um, in virtual care and a virtual platform, or you can come in. It's, it's part of their whole care episode and the care strategy for every single patient. And when you design it day one from that, you do change the model. It is the new generation of healthcare. It's not your father's healthcare.
1: Well, well, and, and even more importantly, they're now they're now paying for the visits. Okay, Correct. so right. so now now that's the most important thing right. that they're actually recognizing it as, and that's the virtual care side. But even on the even on the mobile side, you have you have people interacting with your patients, the women who are pregnant. Yes, you know, yes, uh, keeping keeping tabs on them, people, chronic chronic care they specifically these niche type of things it's it's education side it's yes. um you want to go well here's your uh scheduling yep. everything is now you know in that the virtual care is one one a- aspect of yep. it but um but it's but it's actually yep. being paid for now so yep.
0: Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I, it is, it's being paid for and reimbursed for sure. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you have the whole patient engagement, patient empowerment and patient management right. through that as well. Mm-hmm. But there's also the health plans um, that I'm aware of and, and I'm a part of actually. It's not just – the reimbursement is actually just part of the whole care strategy. There's no right. – actually technically there's not a reimbursement for mm-hmm. it. It's just included in the patient's membership with right. a health plan. So they have access to it, access right. to their doctor – you know, on demand for the most mm-hmm. part. And the doctor may be in with a patient, but the moment they're out of that appointment, mm-hmm. they can call back and do a video visit with uh, their patient if the patient's not in the, if, you know, if the patient's calling in and wants that video visit. And it's, it's not, there's no charge for it, there's no reimbursement. It's just part of their care plan. And right. that's where healthcare is evolving too. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are, you know, 99% of the market has to reimburse for, but now you have these, little, these new models that are being created with telehealth just fully integrated mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. the membership right. of, of being, um, you know, a member of a plan. So, Very, very excited. And I I agree with you. Uh, Telehealth is really coming to its own. And and I'm also excited for remote patient monitoring, but we'll, you know, I'm sure Mm -hmm. that all that will come out. Um, I do want to roll into our very first guest, my good friend, my peer on my uh, Georgia Hymns board, uh, Jeffrey Brown, uh, CIO, Piedmont Healthcare. Welcome to the show, my friend.
3: Thank you, Justin. Glad to be here.
0: It's great to see you.
3: Um, were you actually able to join the board meeting last week? The- I was. We had a great time, good good turnout. I think our program for 2020 is on the right track and uh, had a lot of fun, but also <laughs> some serious efforts to move the industry forward. Excellent. Yeah, Georgia Hymns Board, uh,
0: great, great group of people, um, and now Seppi Brown is the isn't she the chair person now? She's
3: the incoming chair. In fact, she is the chair. Yes,
0: yeah, she is. She's, She's amazing. Sure. Um, Seppi is, is, you know, just works tremendously hard for hymns, for Georgia hymns, our entire organization. But the Georgia Hymns chapter is a very special chapter uh, in general. Um, Rob Aaron did a very good job uh, building it, but but you guys through the years, I kind of came on in these latter years. But uh, the whole Georgia community has done a phenomenal job building one of the most powerful hymns chapters. <clears throat> Uh, And Georgia him. So I I appreciate all you do and all you donate uh, and volunteer to that group, my friend. So it's a very important mission to take on. So. Uh, From your perspective, uh, we just, and we talked a little bit about telehealth because actually one of those initiatives certainly going on at at Piedmont Healthcare. But Jeff, what uh,
3: healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing in the industry? Well, I'm seeing quite a few, but I think starting at the top of it is really a whole lot of activity in our industry on M&A, mergers and acquisitions. You're seeing that happen at the hospital level. You're seeing it happening with practices and even other joint venture activities. And the real challenge that comes forward in our industry is now you're blending uh, people, obviously, and cultures and that type of thing. But you're also having to have this similar technologies come together and work more effectively to deliver the services and the care. Uh, So that's one huge trend that I see happening. Uh, Another trend is really around efforts around cybersecurity. While that's an old topic, Uh, There continues to be a ton ton of focus in that area and new innovations like blockchain. We won't talk about blockchain today, but it's really a, a new way for secure information to be exchanged. And there are a number of innovative companies that are diving into that. Where we're going to see at first in the healthcare arena is probably around the financial industry mm-hmm. or revenue cycle side of what we do and in the cybersecurity space. And uh, we're excited about the, some of the things we're seeing there. And we want to be early adopters of that technology as it involves. And then I think the third area, and I think probably one of the most important areas is around the patient experience. So Some people are now calling it the digital front door. Let yes. me ask you a question. I just wrote that down. <laughs> yes, I did. I just wrote <laughs> down digital front doors on my notes. That's great. So yes. Uh, when was the last time you traveled? Uh, yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> okay. When you when you booked your when you booked your appointment, did you pick up the phone and and, no. and do that with an agent? No, not okay. at all. Well, in healthcare, you're starting to see a movement to meet people where they are, That's and true. most people want to schedule. You're busy, people like yourself. You get in. You want to be able to schedule based on the convenience of time and access from wherever you are. Very true. And so we're all doing that, and I think we're seeing a big push to get healthcare caught up with the rest of the 21st century.
0: I couldn't agree more. Yeah, the no digital front door, yeah, I travel now almost every week. I split my time between here and actually Sarasota. And um, between Delta, Hertz, and Uber, my entire life is di- electronic. It's literally digital. I don't talk to anybody. It's all automated, it's, and it's perfect, and it's seamless. And I completely agree. We deserve that in healthcare. And we're slowly getting it. And I know you've got some great innovations. I actually would like to take a second, even before we move on, because we have the time, share maybe a minute on blockchain because that's something that we've spoken about in the industry for now many years. I don't think people really understand it. I would, If you want to give one minute on blockchain and healthcare or why you're excited for it would be
3: great. Well, I, I'm extremely excited. First of all, it's a, it's a much, you know, you're seeing it being applied in industry now in the financial market. And it is just a much more secure way to have identity, ma- identity management occur uh, with various approaches to uh, various data connection points to make it literally, I won't say impossible, mm-hmm. but for uh, someone to steal the identity of another person, right. institution, or set a currency or whatever it is. There are, there are ID matching types of technologies built into the blockchain environment that uh, can't be replicated. And so, if I give, if I'm a, if I'm having a secure connection with you, uh, the technology behind the scene is already predefined, and there are elements that I know that you don't have to know. But there are rules to guide that connection, and so it, it almost makes cybercrime mm-hmm. yeah. nearly yes impossible. That's you know, no? right. so so I think that's why I'm excited because people at the health record is still known as the most valuable and that's yeah, right most sought after. records you yeah. can have right, right. and so and, and for a number of reasons we won't go into those now but that's that's why I'm excited uh, we want to protect the assets of our of our organization but we also want to make sure that when people do business with us or have patient care and, and information this this private information that we have even better ways to make certain it that, that doesn't get in the wrong hands
0: yeah, excellent you want to do you have a question I do Roberta?
1: I do interoperability is a huge Ordeal now. We've been talk about talking about for ten years. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about it. What what are your challenges? and are you are you finding that you have more um, you have more areas to to work with these days?
3: Well I was a baby when interoperability started (laughs) (laughs) Look at me now! Yeah, I'm about to, about to rock the boat here in a minute. No, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think the industry has made some great strides in that regard. Uh, I, I think if you sort of, kind of, can visualize individual buildings and think about the healthcare applications as an individual building, I think that healthcare has made great progress within the building connecting right. all the offices and being able to exchange things within the building right and uh, there has been some li- limited progress connecting to the building next to you right and being able to do some things in a static way or, or maybe exchange certain elements of it i think where we where where you're going to see the 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 puck move to if that's a good mm-hmm. expression yes is Uh, This next phase where you have very dissimilar systems and through policy, something you've been talking about earlier, and and other things that have to happen from a legislative perspective to get us there will be that ability to take dissimilar environments but have something – and this is a technical term. I'm talking to Georgia Hems, but there's mm-hmm. something called open APIs. Sure. What that really means is a way for me to get information out of your system without having to comply with all of the dynamics that my system has, but a set of standards that we can exchange that information, share it and do it. So in a very, uh, 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 what I, what I would call, um, uh, Meaningful way. Sure. And, uh, and I think that's, that, that's the next level. And you're starting to see huge, uh, efforts occur in that space. Even on the innovation side of the house with this open API thing I'm talking about, you can develop something in your living room. And, uh, if we, if it's meaningful to this patient record, we can figure out a way to do that through this new, uh, technology that we're talking about today. And interoperability paves the way for that. But there will need to be some legislative changes around data sharing and some other things that I know you know about in yeah. detail. How's,
1: how's the um, Georgia HIE working out for you?
3: It's working out well. Uh, we, we, we belong to several different – so we've got care quality with the, the vendor side. We've got the Georgia HIE environment that we play into. But all of those environments still have their own uniqueness to them, and it's not quite as uh, fluid for – physicians, for nurses, for administrators to use that, but you do get basic record information, something we couldn't say seven years ago, right? Right. So I think progress is being made. You know, we laughed about it. Real work is being done, Uh, but at the end of the day, it's still not like yeah. Yes. When you sit at home and you go in and log into your financial records, right, yes. you're able to, to actualize proc, um, um, information, information from, all from those work. systems. Yes. That's right. And That's it's right. not quite at that level, but it's getting there slowly right. but surely.
0: So on MA and cybersecurity, blockchain, and patient experience, uh, back to the three trends that you're really navigating Um you know, what are two or three best practices that you would share with my community on, um, on you know, and help them navigate those trends?
3: Well, I think two or three things uh, just yeah. come to my mind immediately. You, you, you've got to work with the, the vendor partners. You've yeah. got to work with the innovative groups, uh, such as the work you've been tied to, Justin, yeah. in your path. Yeah. We're, we're looking at working with the set of um, new innovators that are now saying, Jeff, they're coming to me saying, Jeff. Uh, rather than us building something and pitching it to you, right. they're starting to say, tell me what your problems are. Let us go in the laboratory and come back with uh, two or three solutions that might work. And we think that if you do that for us, others in your field probably will have some of those similar challenges. So again, you can't develop it in the incubator at right. Piedmont. You've got to open it up to the marketplace. So we're, Heavily relying on our vendor community, the legislative branch to be supportive and yes. work through the through the government relations process to make those kinds of things happen, and then of course, pure old innovation. Right. Yep. Excellent.
0: So, thinking ahead, what do you you know, and kind of on the Wayne Gretzky, you know, where will the puck be? Uh, his famous motto. What do you think we need to be looking at as an industry in three to five years from now? Kind of looking ahead, what do what do we need to be?
3: Well, I think you're going to continue to see apps and infrastructure move into something called the cloud. In the old days, Mm -hmm. and maybe even the current days, people built out these large data centers, and they had servers and storage devices and all types of switches and that type of thing. I think you're going to start seeing data shared in a mega environment, and we're going to kind of say it's all up in the cloud somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, the cloud is a series of these things, (laughs) but rather than each organization's having to – have all that and build it and manage it the way we do today, you know, you're going to move some of that infrastructure and cost into that environment and and improve the interoperability capabilities with, with with your system. So that's one thing that I see here to stay. I also see this whole movement with the interoperability maturing. We've been talking about it since I was born. I know we joked about that, but really seriously with these open APIs and with the fire standards, and those type of things, they're really moving barriers that prevented some of the great strides from happening. It's been incremental. And uh, now I think we have to do that times 10X annually. And I think that in two to three years, five years, you're gonna see that no longer be a problem in healthcare. I think you're gonna see that interoperability take phase. And then the final is the you know, we talk, some you joked about AI earlier yes. when you talked, but I think you're gonna see process automation, you're gonna yes. see AI uh, capabilities where you now will have call centers being managed by computers, right? And you, I, w- I would challenge you to tell the difference if you were talking to a computer or a person in some elements, even today, yes. such as the revenue cycle types of processes yes. and workflows. If it, if, it, if it's a process, they can do it much better, much and, clean, better yeah. and cleaner and 100% um, accuracy, all right? That, yeah. And you can build those rules in. Yeah. for them to uh, react to certain tones and reaction to the public. So I think you're going to see that happen. And then process automation, that's working at the code level. And, uh, and I'm talking to a Georgia Hems group, so you understand. <laughs> but that's taking things that people would have to do to compare numbers and resources to get pre-ops and those yes. types of things. It will be automatically done. And it took people to do them. Today, people do those things. Right. So I think – Automation is moving into healthcare in a major way. And I think it's through this robot, uh, robotic process automation. I I see that being a huge part of our future. Yeah, I actually have a, um, I, I was
0: educated on RPA about uh, a year ago. I have an investment in um, revenue cycle management. And oh. in, in, yeah, they told me, because like, I sat on a budget line, I'm like, what are we doing with all this? And they said, well, this is actually, this is basically how we're going to manage our RCM, you know, coming up. And it's exactly it's just taking the human aspect out of it, 100% accuracy, and you got all the rules and everything built right in. And it's a fraction of the cost. I mean, it's amazing. So,
3: so the humans listening—that's—it's uh, that, <laughs> not taking your jobs away. It's just it will let, allow you to focus on Correct. more complex types. Correct.
0: Where we can't. Where a computer can't help us because there's right. a there's tens of thousands of areas that we need humans involved <laughs> that, that, in. But there's that, things that we don't need humans involved in where humans create errors, and that's where we need the that's computers right. to that's help. Right. Um, Jeff, as always, my friend. Great to have you in studio. Great to see you. Um, thank you for kicking the show off with me. Um, And you have a great afternoon, my friend.
3: I will. Thanks for having me. You got it. Have a great day. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Brown,
0: CIO of Piedmont Healthcare. And welcome, Bird Blitch, CEO of Patient
2: Co. It is great to be here. (laughs) I mean, and sitting next to Jeff, it's even better. Uh, I started my whole life journey off at Piedmont Hospital. So I was born there god bless yeah it's a great great. place great place to be from
0: two great people yeah well no that's the whole fun part and fun aspect of the show um this this whole day this these three hours is all friends and and friends and family and friends of friends it's great so um it's great to uh to have you in studio my friend and, and thank you for joining us it's
2: great to be here
0: i know that you have a very busy schedule i've just been awed by the growth of patient co you guys are just doing a great job out there take tell me a little bit
2: about the last six months of your business well, um, I think the last six months are – Or a year, uh, whatever. Or a year or yeah. years. Yeah, you guys have been doing well. Yeah. It's it, exciting. It, it, it's all about um, listening to the marketplace on mm-hmm. some of these big trends and building a great technology platform that solves uh, these patient financial Experience problems that we all experience. Yes. I mean, we've, whether you're a doctor or a nurse or an administrator or a consumer, we all experience uh, these challenges and every challenge is there to be solved for. Amen. Now, I remember, I'll never forget,
0: um, gosh, this is about seven, eight years ago you had just started the company how old is
2: patient co oh it's it's just a little over that
0: yeah, it's yeah nine, so nine, nine I years. remember seeing you started off obviously you're out of georgia tech uh you started off in the atlanta area and we got a bill at our house from patient co and my wife opened up the bill she's like this is the best bill i've ever seen in my life i'm <laughs> like let me see it
2: why are you? and i was still at
0: greenway at the time and i'm like that's Birds Company.
2: Oh my gosh. I, I need to bring you in to uh speak to the whole company about know, this experience. This they is, get inspired by that. Yeah,
0: that was literally 7 years ago or
2: so and she literally got this bill. She said, this is the best bill I've ever seen.
0: And I looked at it, and it really was how you guys kind of transformed just from a normal looking bill to a statement that was very easy to understand, very it's just large letters. the way it's laid out, is everything about the formatting
2: and, and it was a patient co-bill. And yeah. I'll never forget that, you know, from the from the day. We I know the last touch. And yes. the consumer journey in healthcare is often the worst. Yeah, yes, and and so these health systems do great job solving for the clinical aspects, right? And then we get to the very end, and so our challenge is, you know, how do we help everyone understand um, what they're paying for, when they're paying for, how they're paying for, and then that solves so many other issues, so that the consumer wants to continue to come back to that health system right. and get treat more yeah. uh, on the clinical side, um, and. Next. Voila. Yeah.
0: No, you know, fantastic. Now, ne- 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 next thing you know, you got a big company. That's there right. you go. Um, so what, uh, what healthcare, health IT trends are
2: you seeing in the industry bird? You know, you mentioned early on a patient co, but a lot of this started around the whole advent of the deductible. Mm. And, you know, we think of deductibles with automobiles. We think of them yes. with houses who knew it would rise to be such a big deal in healthcare. And so the, the, I mean, deductibles now, you know, are certainly well north of $2,000 and well over half Americans, half of all Americans um, have a deductible. Um, and that's mm-hmm. a lot of money. When you pile that up and you look at a health system that mm-hmm. is dealing with a lot of faci- pa- patient financial responsibility and is tied to these trends that are being driven by deductibles, those are a lot of dollars that we have to figure out how to solve for. And then these high cost Another mm-hmm. big trend, this is something that I think we can all identify with, it it can lead patients to avoid care. For sure. Oh, I'm watching that. Yes. I mean, yeah. I saw the other day 54% of many um, consumers have skipped necessary medical care due to cost. No doubt. For sure. Crazy. Yes. Yes. And that's 54%. not what we want. No, right? no. So they when need you care, get into the yes. why of why we come to the office every yeah. day, it's Good to point. help solve some of these issues. Yeah. They're really critically important to healthcare being successful and to patients um, staying well. Yeah, I would say 54% delayed or canceled
0: care due to cost. I would certainly, I believe, I mean, I, I literally watch it and I, yeah. I just see it. You see it. i mean even with your friends. I'm like, I mean, it's also they're not even sure what they're going to pay. It, it might be, it might be no. $10. It yes. might be $50 or it could be a thousand. They don't know. You don't know. Right. And, so know. And, and that's natural. I mean, you're not sitting on tons of money. It would scare you going, you know what? I'm
2: going to skip this. And most other yeah. purchases we do from a consumer life cycle journey, we know. Yes. We, we have thought about it before we go in and that's something that entrepreneurial companies can solve for. That's a great thing about this country. We can see problems and go solve for them and, and the talent is there in this country to go do that. It's Excellent. So um,
0: what two or three best practices or strategies can you share to help others navigate those trends?
2: Well, I think if you are in a health system today and, you know, health system, certainly your mission is to provide great clinical care, but you got to get patients. Mm -hmm. They are the customers. And so if we are going off what we just talked about around affordability. Yes. I mean, there is an affordability crisis here. There is significant. It's growing every day too. It's growing every day. And so I think, you know, when you think about what health systems can do to solve for that, um, earlier this year at Patient Co, we conducted a survey of patients and providers and we found that nearly 70% of patients want to enroll in payment plans online. Yes. As opposed to, like, calling the health system, and go, talking it through, I'm busy. You know, I want to be able to self-service. And um, and so I asked more of the team, let's dig into this further. And we built a case study around that. Now, Jeff just walked out, yeah. but we wanted to prove the theory around some assumptions. And Piedmont Healthcare increased payment plan adoption by 400% Wow! in just two months after offering self-service enrollment. And the key there is self-service. Yes. So when we think about, when we think about, consumers we so many times like to self-serve yes
0: oh yeah we just talked about that i mean i travel now every week and i'm between delta hertz and uber everything is self-service i don't talk to anybody and i get the very best prices and best service it's and it's everything i want
2: and you're in control you're in control that. so i just i roll that into this broad consumerism strategy how are health systems thinking about treating Patients. So they, they, I mean, they all have the goal of providing, you know, they want to be in the number, I'm sure Piedmont, Northside, um, Wellstar, all these systems in Atlanta, they want to be leading around clinical care. But who wants to be number one in providing great financial care? That's excellent.
0: No, that's perfect. And I did not plan you and Jeff being together. I just know it's a very small world. I didn't even know p- he was here at Don Walked <laughs> In. I yeah. there, recognize from- that voice. Exactly. So, uh, no, very cool. I just want to know for my audience, I did not plan that. This is not staged or a promotion <laughs> of anything anyway. It's just sharing best practices and strategies. It just happens to be that we're all friends and we, it's a... It's a great community and of innovators and all this is, we talked about this coming before we started the show and and as we came on air about the ecosystem we have in Atlanta and you're, I mean, again, I didn't plan this, but you're a perfect example of that. And she even brought up that I was an entrepreneur and resident uh, at uh, Georgia tech and their ATDC, their incubator.
2: And and you came out of that incubator. Oh, we did. I mean, we, you know, I go back. The wonderful thing is if you have an idea, there are resources that you can put to work to help be successful. And so the thing about the ATDC, so that stands for Advanced Technology Development Center. So I'm going to give a quick plug. Please, yeah. But but we graduated there. Where do yes. you – You know, when yes. you go and you graduate from somewhere, you typically are a big fan. Yes. And um, we went in there with some ideas, Joshua Silver and I, uh, as co-founders, and there were these resources. And they said, let us help you. Let us help you think about customer discovery, how you build your first minimal viable product. How do you go out and listen to the marketplace? And what we already had the ideas, but they confirmed a lot of assumptions on what was building something that was critically important. And at Code today, we've built mission-critical enterprise-level software. So you have to put a lot of thought. And then when you're delivering dollars into people's bank accounts every single day, you can't slip up. And all those thoughts have, have built into something, you know, what I think of as a great company, it's a great company because of it's great people. It's great people because we're in a great community that supports us. So we have a lot to be thankful for, yes. for all the entrepreneurials, uh, entrepreneurial type segments and Circles, and that supporters, right? Us. Supporters, That's right. Yes. and you're one of them. Yeah. I mean, you've been there for us at different points of the yeah. way. Yeah. The journey's long and hard, but you got to be focused on the mission and be very committed to it.
0: Yeah, and I, I mentioned that ecosystem. So we've got you know great institutions like Georgia Tech that gives us great graduates like you that become great entrepreneurs, very, very smart, um, and also foster them along with the ATDC as their as their incubator. But then also the health systems like Piedmont and Emory and Children's who take our innovations and adopt them and put them in the market. You got it, and yes. they help us build our product. And, and on top of that, and so that that ecosystem is critically important. You have to have all these different components. It's not just about having an incubator or having a health system no. or having a college, but it's about and, and or having other companies. It's about
2: having them all. Yeah, working. And the together. companies are so key. Atlanta has you know they're one of the leading two hundred and fifty at any given yeah, time. Think yeah, about that. Yeah. Uh, these Fortune 500 oh, are yeah. five hundred companies or five thousand. Yeah, And so what these companies have been great at is saying we want to lean on you That's right. to help build. Um, Some of our ideas. We want to lean on you when it comes to inspiring innovation. And they don't have the know-how to build the innovation, but they have the know-how to understand what the gates are, to test it, to deploy it, and to hold people accountable. And they do. (laughs) They hold people accountable. But that's how you build a community of something that's great. That's excellent. So yeah, now this is a blueprint. I'm not like talking about this because I like to help everybody. And,
0: and my listeners are from all over the world and, and all over the country. And so, you know, Austin can do this and LA can do this. Every community needs to do this because healthcare is, I mean, we're talking about it's a $4 trillion annual issue. You crazy. Yeah. Crazy amount of growth and, and expansion of our costs. When the country, we can't afford the, these gr- yeah. high growth of our costs. Um, and so we need to tackle them and we need more innovators tackling it. We need more policymakers tackling it and we need more institutions tackling
2: it. And we as communities, Communities can do it together. We can, and I just like to put a call out. Yeah. If you, if you are thinking about solving important problems in the world, there's no better place yes. than healthcare technology, and yeah. for that, there's no better place than Atlanta. Totally agree. Um, you know, Patient Co is the combination of payments. Yeah. And they've got a huge fintech cluster here and healthcare technology. And you put that together with places like Georgia Tech and Georgia State and Emory that we can recruit out of. It's amazing what you get. And i, I got to okay. get you to our new offices in Midtown. We moved down there. We're right by, in the center of this ecosystem. And you walk out on the sidewalk, oh, there's cool. just energy. You yes. just feel the energy. Okay. And so here we are solving very important issues around huge opportunities, around the patient financial experience. And we're right here in Atlanta. It is pretty cool. Love it.
0: So thinking beyond today, you know, what, do you think, what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three years from now?
2: Well, we talked about healthcare costs. We talked about deductibles, mm-hmm. um, high deductible healthcare plans. I, I think to go back to that theme of addressing affordability, mm-hmm. I mean, mm. every single person who's experienced healthcare Yes. knows that this is an issue. And it's, you can pick up the paper, you can listen to the news. Yes. It's going to be talked about on, on shows like this. And so that is important. Now, if you start you know, going through the next three years, I think consumerism in healthcare mm-hmm. will be the trend, not just a trend, but the trend. I agree. And Excellent. health systems have to think about how they are presented in a retail-like way to match the consumer experiences that we all have with other type of institutions.
0: So far, this is a resounding theme is exactly what Jeff said. <laughs> Did it? <he? laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that was my notes. I wrote down my pre-notes under the show, digital front door and the whole yeah. consumer piece. And that was most my notes. Then he brought it up. He laughed. Now I'm laughing at you. Everybody's well, saying this.
2: It is. I mean, <laughs> from a healthcare system, we as consumers go in through one door and yeah. we get access to all the care and all the doctors and nurses. But what about the cost and the payment side? It's all yeah. Disjointed. So completely agree. we are a disruptive business as we think about that. Imagine a day where you have one bill where everything is on that, just like your healthcare bill right. can be. You have a water bill. Yes. You have an Amex bill. Yes. And all this is together. You see it all in one place and therefore your patient experience goes through the roof because finally you have control and you understand it. You can finance it. You can pay it. You could even defer it, but you understand your right. choices. And that's what Patient Co is about, is empowering us as consumers to go address this problem and create a better patient experience and, um, and, and most importantly, health systems that are very happy that they solve for this. And ironic that you bring up, you know, that whole patient
0: experience and digital front door because Dr. Monica Bobier just walked in studio here um, from I Cure for you.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, here she and is, and she's
0: tackling that right now. And this is just this is not planned in any way, but this is it. Just shows how important the consumer experience, consumerism, um, you know, is uh, for our industry and where we're we're going as an industry. So, well, thanks
2: for all you do for our community. Thank you, brother. Justin. You've been fantastic to me. Many many people along the way, Thank you. and what you've done um, to help help improve healthcare technology along the way is amazing. I got to create a wiki page, a Wikipedia page on you, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah no. I think it, I think it's worth doing. So I'll raise my hand sign up for that cool. um, because it's going to be inspirational. Thank
0: you, Bert. I appreciate it. Um, where are you guys? So what do
2: you see that for the next uh,
0: couple of months or year for, for patient co what are you guys hoping to expand to or a new, what's the next frontier for you guys as you
2: grow? Yeah. Well, I think from a um, you know, product perspective, you'll continue to see us being embedded so deeply into Epic mm-hmm. and, okay. and even CERNer so that when we walk into these health systems, hey guys, you spent, you know, four hundred million dollars on this product to help you operate better. Let me tell you how you can leverage it for all your patient communications and payments. Yeah. That's where we're going. And people want to hear that. And then because of that, once you're deeply integrated into technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, platforms that people already have the patient Experience is just it's blended it's all Happening and you don't even have to think about it So you'll continue to see pretty strong Cool innovations from us coming And you as a patient will get to experience it Love it yeah love so.
0: it. Bird Blitch CEO of patient co thank you Very much my friend for thank being you so TV. much great you Seeing it. you y'all take care thank you bird Take care buddy Dr. Monica Bobiard from Cure for you welcome to the show thank you CEO and co-founder um, and you flew in for this, so I'm grateful for that. Thank you very much, Monica. Well, thank you for having me. It's always Ex- a pleasure. Yeah, and, and I have to laugh, and, and my audience has already heard this, but you have not. Literally, I was making my, my notes. Um, Jeff Brown, CIO of Piedmont Healthcare, was right where you're sitting. And, um, I bring up, I just said, you know, what trends are you seeing? And he smiles and he says, digital front door. And I'm just like, I just wrote that in my notes. And then Byrne just brought that up as well. And now uh, this is your core business. Uh, and again, I did not have that plan, but it shows the importance of, uh, of consumerism in the space. Um, so, uh, but won't you give us 30 seconds on, on Cure for you? Uh, you're a, a great thought leader. And I just want to thank you. You're a great um, proponent uh, or, or uh, participant in our think tank for what you you know your expertise in patient engagement and patient empowerment uh, and, uh, and what you bring together to the industry as a platform but give us a couple of seconds and cure for you
4: thank you yeah well um, i'm a physician from denmark and i kind of got thrown into health it 20 years ago or something like that because I saw a need for building tools for providers to better interact with patients when they're outside of the office. And so that's actually what I've done now for oh, a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now um, now we, we did it. Uh, we did the first patient portal in the world in Denmark. And now we're here um, to, um, to try to do the same thing, um, not with patient portals, but with patient apps another patient experience um, here in the U.S. Excellent. So what do you what healthcare or
0: health i t trends are you seeing in the industry and i I already kind of opened that door a little bit. It's just so key but but from your perspective
4: I think um it's really the two things um patient experience mm-hmm. um, so it's getting important for for physicians and and uh, organizations out there to what is the experience for the patients I think everybody is kind of like wanting to go in the direction where mm-hmm banks and airlines of industry has gone before yes. right really what is it that the experience for the patient was a flow and i think we'll see them going away from desk and st- papers and all kind of yes. old-fashioned stuff like that mm-hmm. that's one thing but the other thing i see is that they're getting very more much more thoughtful in how they're sharing data um, with patients and it's not just about getting data to The physicians anymore is just as much about getting data to the patients at the right time. So it's instead of just dumping data in a patient portal. Now it's protocol based data flows between patients and providers. That's
0: excellent. Love it. Um, What two to three best practices or strategies can you help uh, my audience uh, for them to navigate those trends?
4: Well, I think you need to be ambitious. Um, That's excellent. and have some long-term goals Love when it. you, when you do this, but, but at the same time, be practical and have some short-term goals for, f- to roll it out. Um, you can't just go in and flip everything upside down. Um, especially because, um, the, what in my experience to keep people here in an organization to really drive the patient engagement. That's the the front desk people and the schedulers. I mean, and that often gets forgotten when you roll out patient engagement tools. Right. It comes from the top. Um, and so um, having a strategy around making them comfortable, making them see that they're not losing their job anymore, but it's just other things they're doing and and how they can be helpful in rolling this out is, is really important. Um, and then I think integration, automation um, is key. Standalone solutions don't work anymore. Yes. Single, small solutions don't Niche work products, anymore. Yeah, doesn't yeah. work. Um, people want all-in-one solutions like they have in HR for their physicians. They want an all-in-one solution for their patients so that it gets to be a really good experience for the patient as well, but also something that their organization can manage. I mean, it's not manageable to have 10 different solutions for their patients as well. It's excellent. So,
0: diving into the all-in-one platform because I, I I see that I've been seeing that evolve in the past couple of years because there's and that's when, when I help companies or or join their or actually I don't join the boards of companies that have niche products because I've seen it doesn't work. Uh, but I certainly when I speak with people and entrepreneurs and give them advice, um, you know, I've watched how the whole niche world has just imploded just because you can't you get out there and, and you might get a health system you might solve a problem for one health system but that's not replicatable and so your niche product doesn't you can't expand past one or two customers and you eventually die out so I mean I guess from your experience you you know it's why I, I love Cure for You and, and what you guys are doing and, and why you're here today you've taken all of this and made it in, and built it on one single platform which is critically important yeah. um, it, it solves a lot of the integration there interoperability problems that exist out there but also usability so talk a little bit about all those different components and functions functionalities that you've integrated into one platform or onto one platform.
4: Well, and this is not, this is also because we've done it for so many years that we kind of just learned and and grew with it. Um, And so
0: that's called wisdom. It's a good thing. (laughs)
4: Yeah. So, um, I mean, but what we've learned is that you have to have a solution that covers the entire journey of care for the patient. So it's everything from online scheduling to checking in and paying your copays at home. It's it's uh, screening questionnaires, everything that needs to happen prior to an appointment. But it's also all the clinical processes. Uh, it's it's care plans and remote patient monitoring for chronic conditions. It's pre procedure prep and post procedure follow up. Identifying patients at risk after procedures and surgeries. It's communication tools, secure messaging, telehealth, um, sending photos of a wound after procedures, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And and once you do that, you will have your patients enrolled in one solution that follows them throughout the entire journey of care, regardless of if it's a a short journey or if it's a long journey. And that creates the, the 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 connectivity between a patient and a physician because now they can keep on working together. They don't end up in a in a in a block world where they now need to call and, right. and use the phone.
0: Yeah, no, and, and we're seeing that that example keeps on coming up. and I don't use my phone to manage anything, and this is a significant problem that that has, is like a hiccup in my life. Everything else can be managed online through you know a digital app mm. or. Uh, a digital process and, uh, and and every guest has brought that up so i completely agree with you uh, and appreciate that so what um you know looking beyond today where do you see this all going over the next couple of years where where's the puck going in when Gretzky speak
4: i think we will we will end up having True patient-centric care. I mean, Mm. we've talked about patient-centric care for a long, long, long time. I I was traveling with McKinsey & Company five years ago, and that was the issue, like the topic, how do we patient-centric care? But it was around how do we build buildings Mm -hmm. so that we can have the patient have one place. But it's not really, in my opinion, true patient-centric care because it wasn't the data and wasn't the whole journey of care for the patient. It was when the patients were in the office. I think we'll see that we'll, uh, we'll have an experience for the patient when they walk into the office. There will be not be any front desk anymore. They'll be walking into a coffee shop where they sit down. They've checked in at home. Mm-hmm. They can have a cup of coffee while they're waiting. We're not just put into a room where we're sitting and waiting for 30 minutes while somebody is typing in our data. <laughs> right. And, and. That's one part of it. So the experience of the whole entry into an organization will be different for the patient. But I think a more important one Mm -hmm. is will be that the conversations that will come between physicians and, and patients will be about what happened for the patient while the patient was at home. So the physicians will now start looking at graphs and data from Data that was collected by the patient while they were at home, mm-hmm. because we as physicians we rely on what we can get out of the patients when they're in the office. We don't have any way to get a full picture, right? So we will get to a, we get to a place where we'll yeah. have longitudinal data, and we can see what's going on with the patients at home, and we'll be able to much better base our treatment and diagnosis based upon that, um, and not so much episodic data entries in the right. in the office. But that is that is also going to create a challenge, I think, for a, lot of the, for a lot of the EHRs out there, because they're not built for that. So I think they need to start thinking about how do they build interfaces that can show longitudinal data, including what's happening with the patients when they're at home and not just in the office.
0: That's excellent. Excellent. And your coffee shop um, example makes me think of – there's an ad. I don't know the bank if it's uh, – yeah, I don't know the bank, um, but there's one of our – one, one of the top five banks in the country. They have coffee shops now mm-hmm. for exactly what you said. Actually, that is – a lot of their banking is done online electronically. Yeah. They're only there for maybe an appointment, but that's pre-scheduled, and they're going in there, going to ra- grab a cup of coffee, uh, and then can move on to their appointment. It's yeah. a much better experience than – w- I mean, a waiting room I and mean, a, a, a health care exactly. facility. Yeah.
4: Oh, gosh. Yes. I was actually visiting one of our – clients of up cody wyoming far far away he had a gr- he built his whole office around that and you came in and then it was just like there's nice music you sit down you grab a cup of coffee there is no front desk i mean it was amazing right. yeah
0: well in, in roberta and i uh, were catching up uh, just before the show and really discussing how we see healthcare care evolving um, and some of the just the, the examples of um, the patient, the patient experience, how we've got to manage that differently, much more effectively and efficiently, and and obviously, I couldn't help but think of what cure for You is doing, and really that whole, you know, just digital front end. I mean, you want to dive in here, Roberta, a little bit about what you know.
1: Well, the first thing thoughts? I'm going to say is for those of you looking up cure for You on the on the web right now, trying to figure it out, it is Q. Oh, U-
0: <laughs> thank you.
1: <laughs> We're listening, right? Yes. It is. Q U R E the number four and the letter U. Yeah. So that's cure for you. That's so right. when you're looking it up, because I had that same problem. Thank <laughs> <you. I> was, <laughs> I know. So um, so that's there. No, we we were actually talking how um, you know the next generation they don't want their healthcare like, like their, their parents. fathers. Yeah, no. Yeah. no. Yeah. No, they it, and the physicians and the hospitals they have to change with the time because they are going to be looking. When we, when I grew up and everything else, you just went where your parents told you to go and you kept going even though you didn't even like the place. Yeah, you just kept going. Correct. You know?
4: Yeah,
0: people are skipping. And to your point, they don't go now. They don't want to go mm-hmm. where their parents go, and they're skipping care. And we even talked about that with Bird a moment ago. Is people don't understand the costs. It's it's not transparent. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing way too much. I mean, I think the number was seventy percent want to pay online, but fifty four percent delayed care or did not take seek care because either cost or they didn't know the cost and you're afraid and you can't blame them. And so having this, um, you know, this this transparency, but then also. Uh, I know you guys are on the whole payment side, or you're and you're moving down that path very quickly as well as having a full comprehensive platform where the patient can engage they can understand what they're going in for they see you know in your case, you know pre or post appointment and prep and 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 a follow up, but also having all that payment information understandable uh and you know you the employment may only cost a hundred dollars or may cost fifty dollars or ten dollars or be no cost at all but we need people seeking care it's not seeking care is not a solution no. that's a major inhibitor to much larger health problems later on that we're gonna have to pay as a country they don't just go away no. so by delaying care we're delaying i mean we're gonna be up for much more significant issues financially than uh, than where we are right now so
4: but i think a lot of that is also about how how easy is it to get to the doctor
0: Yes, very right. true. And
4: and and a lot of people are working. So and some cannot go to the doctor because they're afraid of losing their job. So we yeah. have we have yeah. uh, examples of patients calling in on a telehealth call from yes. their car, yeah. and that helps them. But but also just scheduling an appointment. I mean, me personally, I don't ever get to go to a doctor because I don't have time to call and schedule an appointment during the day. Right. But if I can go on my app, I can just plug myself in Correct. nighttime. I mean, that was what we saw early on in, in what's happening in, in Denmark was that we had like 30% of all appointments were done online. Excellent.
0: Now, I I completely agree. And, and we, we talked about that again right before we came on air about how care is really shifting is now health plans that it's it's they do certainly we medicare reimburses for uh telehealth visits but and the payers are starting to um, reimburse for for these telehealth visits but health plans and care plans now offer it integrated into the overall service and membership and Mm. so you know that's what i'm most excited about it's not just about reimbursement it's about it's just part of healthcare you can go see your provider in person you can if it's crafted the right way and integrated the right way you can actually go you can see them in person you can see them virtual care telehealth yep. secure messaging yep. and have your visit however you need to and that you know exactly falls on exactly what you're saying so uh, in our closing few minutes what do you see for cure for u and it's Q-U-R-E for you the, the number four, number four <laughs> and the letter U thank you Roberta for bringing that up <laughs> very good point um, what do you see over the next year for your company
4: um, we've been very fortunate we've been growing like um, really growing crazy uh, the last year, and um, and been able to um, get uh, some very large clients sign up with us, and it gives us an ability to really. Go build that all in one solution that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that, and we have a few pieces where we want to go into eligibility and, and some more payment options. So, um, but I think really optimizing the flow for the patient and then also building out some tools for the physicians for the things that are missing in the EHR right now All partnering with more EHRs. Yeah. Um, that's also like yeah. we, we like to partner.
0: Yep. No, very smart And you talk about the importance Of the uh, the deep integration uh, and, and patients deserve that And so we certainly want You know, as, as former chairman Of the EHR Association I, I certainly want more EHRs Opening their doors to innovators Certainly the leaders out there That are solving big problems uh, And so I'll certainly call on the industry To do that um, But uh, But then also, you know you're growing like gangbusters because exactly every single guest you know before you has talked about the importance of consumerism, the digital front door, and uh, Denise was was kind enough to share some of her thoughts, and she's going to jump into and talk about I think patient engagement and consumerism as well and, and Denise Hines from Hymns uh, just joined us in studio as well so um, uh,
1: everybody's coming on time
0: exactly I'm grateful because <laughs> that when we're live on air at Hymns you know at the, the radio show for annual conference it's not always, not always like that it's it's me looking into the audience and then you know we'll have people they'll be showing they'll show up but they're still t- they're talking to their friends and I'm like no you're supposed to be live on air right now get up here and I'm like ad-libbing and, and doing the tap dance and Stone's like throwing little rocks at my feet making sure I dance properly it's great <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) So, um, But anyhow, Monica, thank you very much. You traveled in from Florida, so I appreciate you flying uh, for the show. But hopefully Atlanta will treat you well today and you have safe travels home. Yeah, thank you so much. Dr. Monica Bobiurg, CEO and co-founder of Cure For You. Thank you for joining us. Have a great afternoon. Denise Hines, thank you. How are you doing?
5: I'm wonderful. Thank you, Justin, for having me here today. So you're that the Chief
0: America's Officer. Is that your title? Your title?
5: Yes. Is that the coolest title ever? <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> yes. Denise is a long. First of all, you you're wonderful to our industry. You're a longtime friend of mine. Um, but uh, but this is a new role for you. You're one of the big leaders, certainly in our state and in, and nationally when it comes to health IT. But now you've recently joined. Hims in this new role. So tell us about this new role.
5: Yes. Well, um, it, it, it's a dream job, Justin. It's, um, Amen. Ta- <laughs> it's taking everything that you and I and many of us have worked on to advance the adoption of health technology, working with providers, all the industry stakeholders, workforce development, taking all of that and having a global platform Amen. to deliver services and products. And in my role, I am responsible for the global com- conference. Oh, okay. So, um, all of the great networking and learning and bringing together 45,000 plus people. <laughs> I've into- <laughs> already plugged it
0: one time, but I'm going to plug it again here in a second, too. But yes. Perfect. Yes.
5: Um, working with the, the group that leads the uh, coordination of the global conference to professional development. So all of our certification programs, making sure that we are positioning the next generation of skilled workers, so all of those services, certification, learning, education, products and services, as well as membership. How are we going to keep our members engaged? Mm -hmm. How do we make sure we are in touch with our members, providing them the services, the best services to help them continue to grow and understand what's happening in our industry? So I take all of those services, products, engagement opportunities in the Americas and work with a global um, team. To ensure that all of our best practices, all of our initiatives are um, exchangeable globally, but mm-hmm. also taking a look at what's happening globally, yes, the digital health um, takeover I call it or framework is happening globally, so we can look at best practices from robotics to digital health to artificial intelligence, take those best practices from a global perspective, and see how we apply those here in the in the Americas. Mm-hmm. So it's the dream job, Justin, I have to say, and it's been a wonderful opportunity, and I enjoy all of the opportunity I have to talk about everything we've been working on from women in health IT to inclusion and diversity to health equity to now really focusing on the patient experience and making sure we keep the patient at the center in everything we're doing. I do you it.
1: have uh, Do you have anything over the theme? D- doing the themes for the hymns. <laughs> okay, are you in <laughs> part of that?
5: Yes, I work with the uh, marketing team. So we have a, a wonderful marketing team who's mm-hmm. actually working on the theme. So yeah. that will be revealed. Very soon, <laughs> I heard. That. Very
1: soon. Tell, tell us what goes into that, though. How do, how do you come up with the theme for the years?
5: Well, we take a look at what's happening in the industry. We we obviously take a look at what worked well. Our champions of health was a tremendous success last year, yes. and the momentum from that. We want to make sure we continue to build mm-hmm. upon that, but we also want to make sure that our industry is looking forward. Mm-hmm. We've been talking so much about digital health innovation um keeping the patient at the center health equity all of these topics are moving us into the future of healthcare and we want to make sure that our theme not only recognizes our champions in health but we take that forward and figure out how do we capitalize on the the innovation and the the forward thinking that's happening today so our theme will reflect on making sure we are focusing on Bringing positive change to our healthcare industry, Excellent.
1: and then does that does that then parlay into the the keynotes? The yes, big keynotes? yes. Yeah.
5: we work with uh, we the process for planning for global conference happens years in advance, yes. um, and we are planning for that now. So we work with our members to go through the proposal, call for proposal process. So we we weigh through 900 proposals to present this year. So our team, our wonderful professional development team is looking to make sure that we provide quality content for our members, which is expected. And then we begin the process of planning the Global Conference Convention Center to make sure it is a positive experience for networking, for getting to the sessions, for making sure that our keynotes are in the right areas, that we provide new and exciting opportunities to showcase innovation, new and exciting opportunities for learning. Education sessions for members to get engaged for networking, mm-hmm. as Justin oh, yeah. mentioned. When you're walking down the hallway, you're seeing <laughs> ten tens friends. of right, exactly. ten friends yeah. that you haven't yeah. seen in years, and yeah. it, it's like a reunion. Yes, hmm. so we want to make we sure live, <laughs> what?
1: we live 10 miles away from each other. Most, uh, mostly, we, we see, see each, each other,
0: other, other. Yeah. in the conference. Right. Yes, right. yes. <laughs>
1: so we want to make
5: sure Denise, say, Denise lives close
0: to me, too, but yeah. we don't
4: see him yeah. once, once downtown, a year at him. Right? Yeah, That's exactly.
5: So, when we think about the global conference, it's not just one. One,
6: mm-hmm.
5: one, one thing to think about, it's a, a, a global conference and we're bringing people from all over the globe internationally to engage in in this experience. And we want to make sure it's the best experience for everyone from the individual to someone who's just now entering the conference um, experience for the first time, which is truly overwhelming. So we want to make sure we take care of them. And then we also want to make sure that we, we take care of the seasoned professional who is there to network, meet with, um, have specialized appointments to meet with people, um, in the industry to c- people who come to listen to the keynotes who are expecting big announcements from policy or come to the center to see the latest and greatest and innovate in, in the innovative space. Uh, what's the next theme? Where is headcare, healthcare headed? So we have to make sure that we make this the best conference for every attendee, no matter where they come from.
1: I don't want to put you on the spot because it, numbers are numbers. But what what is the percentage of n- first time people going to that conference on an average?
5: On an average, about forty percent of our attendees are first time
0: attendees. That's amazing! That's amazing, isn't that amazing? And what about the and we vendors? grow every year? What
1: mm-hmm. about the is the vendors the same?
5: Um, most of the vendors are the same, but we are now seeing the 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 influx of innovation yes. coming into the global conference. So we are now reaching new new types of vendors. So mm-hmm. as we look at wellness and healthcare, mm-hmm. yes, you may see a new vendor. Um, for for example, Lyft is a new yes. vendor who's there. Yeah, I saw them last year. As mm-hmm. we look at the full community of healthcare. We're mm-hmm. now starting to see that we have to include mm-hmm. others who aren't the traditional healthcare vendor mm-hmm. to come and talk about how they impact our industry. So right. you're going to continue to see. Those vendors who you may not have ever seen before, but really have an impact in our healthcare. Well, and, and we, yeah,
0: we saw Lyft as a as a big mm-hmm. uh, partner of HIMSS nineteen, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're going to start to see those big players. And so just to do a little bit of a backup for everybody, I think most of my audience is very familiar with HIMSS, the the uh, the association, the Health Information Management and System Society. However, the the annual conference that you're speaking about, you, you know, forty five thousand people is what's expected. And I mentioned, I think I mentioned forty to forty five thousand when I um, got on air today because it grows every year. Yes. It's a blessing to be there. I. Uh, and we'll actually, we're, I mentioned we just sealed it yesterday, but we are going to broadcast the radio show again live from the Hymns Conference. This would be my sixth year, I believe. Um, yeah, sixth year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for everybody, so everybody knows, it's Sunday, This the kickoff of Hymns. There's probably some pre conference stuff on mm-hmm. Saturday, the 7th, but Sunday, March 8th, 2020. So I just want to make sure, every, and, and my insider, um, uh, advice for people is book your hotel rooms now. Yes. that's I always tell everybody just do it a, as fa- long <laughs> as you can. I book mine a year. As soon as they open it up I book mine because I want to be on site. I need to go to walk to back and forth in my room to between and in- between meetings and all that. Um, and, uh, I j- it just, you know, you have to be there and, and I'll cover this mm-hmm. uh, and you just actually helped me a lot and I did not plan this and you're wonderful, Roberta, mm-hmm. for asking you some questions because you guys have not launched all your themes yet. I think you're going to do that in the next week or so, but yeah, I, I promised my audience,
1: I, <laughs> I, pro- I know we're trying.
0: <laughs> I promised my audience a hymns preview <laughs> at, uh, one today. Um, but you just gave me a lot of the answers to the test. I had some stuff ready to go because I have some insight, but, um, but I think you just helped. Uh, quite a bit, but I know the mm-hmm. official launch of the themes won't come for another week or so.
5: Yes, or and soon. we're we're planning to open up the global conference registration website, where you'll begin to get a taste of all the cool. themes. So that's coming. Very soon.
0: Excellent. So staying on track a little bit here, just so we can cover some good ground, um, you know, and you've already touched on some of it here, but what health and health IT trends are you seeing in the industry and you're navigating mm-hmm. in your roles?
5: Yes. Well, for me, um, in it, what I'm seeing is that we're now beginning to understand that the patient has to be at the center of care. Um, we're, and every
0: single guest before you has said the exact same thing. It's a great. resounding theme for today. Yes. Excellent.
5: So patient care. You got it keeping the patient at the center of care. So we're realizing that care is happening outside of those four walls of the hospital, the traditional settings. And now that's forcing us as the industry to take a look at the full community of health for a patient. So when they leave the healthcare setting, do they have a home to go to? Yes. Do they have good food to eat? Yep. Do they have transportation? Yes. And are they in an, in an environment that has sidewalks to promote healthy living do they have access to be able to come back to the healthcare setting that they need to get to for their continued healthcare experience. So if we if we for example take a patient who lives in a rural setting who may need access to a specialist who lives in we can just use Georgia for example yes. 3 hours away and the specialist is in Atlanta is it realistic to think that that patient can get to that ex- to that doctor every week and try to get well. And so we are now beginning to understand that we have to understand the social determinants of health for a patient. And I like to call it, just in the three Ps on where I think healthcare is headed. Excellent. Prediction, Mm. prevention, and precision.
0: Wow, I love it. So
5: if we can predict using social determinants of health, how well that patient will adhere to a treatment plan or what will that patient be predisposed to in their community, their society, their background, their DNA history? Then we can begin to prevent. We can, if that patient does not have transportation, how do we introduce a way for that patient to get to their um, set healthcare yes. setting? So we can prevent um, some of the causes of that patient not getting as well as anticipated.
0: And so then, the three P's, again, are prediction, prevention, predict- and precision. 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 Love it. It's excellent. So
5: yeah. if we have predicted mm-hmm. what your health outcomes will be based yes. on your history, your family history, your social community, your access to health and wellness um, tools that can help you get better, we can help you prevent. So we can give you the home monitoring tools to yes. help you prevent. We can look at your past history and get you the... Tools and exercise and medications you might need to prevent you from getting worse or prevent you from even having the chronic illness that is predicted. And then precision. If you do contract that chronic illness, we will know enough about your history, your social environment, your past um, family disease states to offer you a personalized healthcare experience that will help you get better and not just a generalized healthcare experience. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I see healthcare heading. And to get there, we need the tools, we need the data and information, we need healthcare providers to not be burned out yes, by introducing yes, yes, yes. all of these rules and <laughs> tools and requiring them to learn something new every day. And we need the skilled workforce that can wade through and bring in the next generation of technology who can understand and pre- create these patterns and predictions and help us understand what's happening in our healthcare environment.
0: Yeah, I'll actually get a plug for for where you went there. I actually had twenty three in me do my sequencing and and all that. and and actually, I was shopping last I think I got it on Thursday or Friday of last week. I think it was last Friday. And I got my email from 23andMe, and and I went through it immediately as an Amal, and I just went through it. And literally, I had emailed my mother and my grandmother because I had no predisposition Mm -hmm. to anything. And I was just – I was so happy. I was like, thank you for the good genes, Mom and Graham. (laughs) And and, and it was just – I felt blessed because – and I was concerned, obviously, Mm -hmm. because they go through – I went through all of it. You're talking about – um, Parkinson's mm-hmm. and uh, diabetes mm-hmm. and um, uh, Alzheimer's, and then mm-hmm. all the stuff. I, some of the initials I didn't even know, but uh, cancer, you know, predisposition, all that. And I didn't have any of it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's uh, just very fortunate. That's just mm-hmm. genetics. Mm-hmm. And I am 24.4% Italian, which everybody around me knows. Wow. It, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> great. So I was happy about that as well. That's actually not too bad because I'm being, you know, second generation, third generation mm-hmm. in, in America. You sometimes lose. So I'm 24% Italian. But anyhow, I actually think. Everybody should do twenty three and me. I got it mm-hmm. from. I don't want to. You know, I don't like to plug companies, but I did buy it on Amazon Prime Day. It was half price. It was a hundred yes. bucks. Yes. I decided to do it, mm-hmm. and I'm very happy because mm-hmm. you do want to know. To your point, yeah. going back to healthcare, I mean, mm-hmm. we do want to mm-hmm. know our genetics. We want to know our predispositions mm-hmm. because we can make conscious decisions. Yeah, and then right. this. And if I did have any predispositions, I bring this to my doctor, and then we we start managing
5: exactly my health differently. So you're able to prevent right. as much as you can. Um, If you are predisposed to, let's say, diabetes, then you can be placed on a a health management plan early enough to help prevent it. Yes. Um, And then if you do contract it, then the precision of knowing what has happened in your, your past family history can help that doctor develop a personalized health plan for you.
0: Excellent. So we're running a little low on time, but I'm actually going to, if you do have time, you're more than welcome to stay in studio. We do have Dr. Rucker calling in in a few minutes here. Um, Do you know if they're online? Okay. Okay. Um, But uh, Stone, our our wonderful producer, will let us know when they come online. But I do want to hear, so go through a few of the best practices or strategies that you recommend uh, my audience to navigate healthcare.
5: Sure, I, I, we're going to talk about interoperability. So, mm. we're still focusing on making sure that we have access to data and good information. We also want to continue developing tools that can help the patient be in the best healthcare environment for them. So, through um, focusing on health equity and providing tools and services to make sure that a patient can experience care in the best setting for them to help improve. Where they are excellent and we have to, have to pay attention to clinician burnout yes um, we need to make sure that we we um, develop tools and services but also make sure that we pay attention to what our clinicians need and focus on their health as well and make sure that we don't burden them with so many tools and rules that they don't have time to Pay attention to the patient.
0: Yeah, sixty-one percent of clinicians report burnout at some point, mm-hmm. and that's just that's way too high. Mm-hmm. We can't sustain our healthcare system and all that we have to accomplish with it with a sixty-one percent you know reported burnout rate. Um, completely agree. So, in our closing minute or so, are they? Do I have, we have Dr. Rucker? Excellent. So, um, th- just thinking beyond today, uh, where do you see or what do we need to think about for? You know, two three years down the road, and what we need to manage for healthcare, what or keep our eyes out for.
5: Again, um, data and inter- interoperability. We're bringing all these community services and mm-hmm. organizations who have not traditionally participated in the healthcare exchange of information. So we need to make sure that we we provide um, ways to get access to information at the right time, the right amount of information at the right time. And making sure that we are focusing on developing health tools and resources that um, can increase um, access to health care beyond the traditional settings.
0: That's excellent. I completely agree. And I certainly agree with your social determinants of health and, and really our community is health, communities of health. I love how you wrap that together with um, homes and food and transportation mm-hmm. and sidewalks and thinking holistically yes. about the patient, about the community. Um, I think you're spot on. So fantastic, Denise. Again, you're more than welcome to stay in the studio if you would like. And uh, I would love to welcome my next guest, uh, Dr. Don Rucker, who's the National Coordinator for Health IT for the Americas, um, since we have the Chief <laughs> yes. Americas Officer across me <laughs> from HIMS. Um Dr. Rucker, are you there? Uh, I am, Justin. Thank you, yeah. Denise, hi. <laughs> hi, Dr. Um, Rucker. Excellent. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you and uh just i've I kind of sang your praises as we came on air here you just a, you're a great proponent of uh for our industry you're a great leader uh, i had the pleasure of uh, working with you in my early days with the ehr association i think you were with siemens at the time and uh mm-hmm. and just yep. appreciate everything that you've uh, given to our industry and you continue to do for our industry so thank you dr rucker Uh thank you so what do you see i guess the, a little bit the floor is yours um but uh, but what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing in the industry, or would you recommend that uh, that you uh, have people navigate here for my audience? Yeah, I
6: think the uh, the 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 big trend really, and and it's way further advanced in the rest of the economy than it, than it is in healthcare. Is the um, re, repurposing and reimagining of services um using application programming interfaces. So in the broader economy, you know, this is at the heart essentially mm-hmm. of the modern web economy, right? It is having all of the parties connected relatively seamlessly through application programming interfaces. Mm-hmm. Right. This is what makes it possible for you to, you know, use Uber or Lyft, right? Where yes. you have the the map API and the traffic API and the credit card API and the customer API and the driver API all coming together um, or even, uh, you know, electronic, uh, you know, online retailing, uh, somebody like Amazon where they um, have online networks of, you know, oh, yeah. literally hundreds of thousands of vendors that they're hooking up and then communicating with the uh, transportation infrastructure. I think we are at the early part, of seeing that type of economy start moving into healthcare, um, the the 21st century Cures Act, uh, you know, requires that on the consumer side that can you know that providers uh, will give consumers right to their um, information through a modern API, and I think it is also going to happen, you know, more broadly even beyond uh the rule making. So that I think is the 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 big trend. It has revolutionized, you know, much of the rest of the economy. I think healthcare um is ripe for that um, you know, heavily networked, um, codependent type of world. And especially because there are demands really from um from everybody given the expense of healthcare to Overlay um, and provide, you know, fundamental transparency on both prices and you know the product, if you will, or the service. So I think when you put those things together, you put the technology of transparency together with, you know, a national outcry for transparency. I think those things are going to redefine the opportunities in healthcare. So that's what I would throw out there, Justin.
0: Yeah, no, actually, I actually agree, and and each of my guests so far have brought up components of of what you just spoke about. So, I mean, from the standpoint of the importance of interoperability, uh, the importance of having that data uh, transferred securely, uh, electronically, and seamlessly, uh, and then also the price transparency. I mean. The example that I brought up, uh, Jeff Brown, a CIO here in Atlanta, Piedmont Healthcare, asked me, you know, when's the last time I traveled? And I said yesterday, and so literally, you know, everything was d- done digitally and through APIs. I mean, the Delta, uh, my Delta app, I booked my ticket, paid for my ticket, scheduled everything, my flights. So when I landed, Hertz had my car ready, uh, and then I jumped in Lyft and/or Uber, uh, also. Uh, so, I mean, literally, I'm using all those digital applications. APIs are integrated into all of those technologies, and innovations, uh, and we, you know, we deserve that in healthcare. And so, I completely agree uh, with where you're going and, and what you said uh, in your advice there. So, diving in a little bit deeper, and again, I know that from the this is all you know. You're coming from the policy side here. What are two or three best practices, or strategies, or policies? You know, um, you know, would you share to help others navigate some of those trends that you spoke about and that we just spoke about?
6: Yeah. So uh, from a policy point of view, obviously, we um, have a, a rule, uh, you know, that is, you know, in process. Yes. Uh, we've, we've got 2,000 public comments. We're going through those comments um, and uh, are going to have a rule requiring providers to have application programming interfaces so patients can get their clinical data in a very secure way um, through a, what is called OAuth 2. So they're going to have a secure way. The patients have to log on to the provider. So I know there's been a lot of discussion about um, somehow patients would, you know, know, that that people would just somehow get the data. That's not at all true. This is Mm -hmm. 100% directed by the consumer. Um, So that's in our role. There are uh, provisions enforcing that um, and the affordability of that through information blocking, and the ex- allowed exceptions, because Congress and the you know the its law that information blocking yes. um, is not allowed, and the assumption is that consumers are going to get the data. So that's the the policy. The flip side of that is you know for providers and for your audience to think about how am I going to provide services in that world? You know how am I going to be an entrepreneur? How is my you know delivery system? My service? How how am I going to make those richer products that you just described on your travels yesterday? Yes. Right? And that seamless um, that theme. Interesting enough of what you described there is, I think, something that is called co-production. Mm-hmm. Right? So you you know make your reservation, you print your ticket, you you know you tag your your luggage type of thing. You know, we haven't really had co-production in healthcare, right. right? In co-production in healthcare, you know, we term with a sort of a bit of a funny phrase, which is patient engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I mean, that's a strange concept when you think about it, right? In every other f- sphere of our life, we're automatically engaged, yes, right? We don't need to talk about patient engagement to go to the supermarket or <laughs> to the true. movie or to travel. Right, it's only in healthcare because where we've had these third parties, um, you know, third-party payment systems have separated patients in many, many, many ways from control and knowledge of their healthcare. We think these APIs and, in fact, new services, new opportunities will um, will reengage them. So I would say for your audience to really think about what do APIs mean f- for you, what services. Or, you know, do you want to, you know, coexist with, work with, layer on in that sort of um, very consumer-driven, um, automated world? That that would be a big suggestion.
0: Yeah. No, I, I love it, and I completely agree, and and we are talking about that even before we came on air, about how, uh, you know, there's, there's health plans now that it, this is all integrated into one package. It's like a membership. You get full virtual care. You get full telehealth. You get – um, you get, you can go see your doctor in person. It's not even reimbursed. It's just part of your plan. It's just part of your care. It's a new model of healthcare. It's not kind of that, that older world. Um, and I'm excited to see it. I'm, I'm seeing how, you know, healthcare is evolving and we're seeing how these new models are being rolled out and all these innovations are just integrated. It's just part of the care plan. It's not. A component it's not you know a separate app, it's just it's just how I'm gonna seek healthcare. I might see you in person, I might ask you for a secure message back and forth, or I might you know ask for a virtual visit, but that's all with my doctor, not some random doctor, it's it's you know my doctor, and I, I love those innovations that I'm seeing out there. So
6: and, and certainly with APIs, even if it is not your doctor, they will have your information Correct. and more importantly, you will have your information. Very true. And if and and you know the key part here from an economic leverage is this finally for the, I think literally the first time in many, many years truly empowers the American public to shop for their care. Right. The, the, the model where you, I mean the, the current delivery system is in, in many markets, buy up all the competitors, um, you know, prevent leakage and set prices for the insurer. I think that model is, it's very much at risk in a, Modern competitive economy.
0: I completely agree. It's excellent. So, in our, in our closing few minutes, you know, thinking beyond today, what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three years from now or in the future for healthcare?
6: Well, you know, I think one, we've talked, you know, obviously over the last 10 minutes about the consumer facing yes. part of it. I think for providers who I'm guessing are the bulk of, of folks listening here, yeah. I think it's also worth thinking that these technologies will also help make efficiencies on the payment side you know on the back office if you know the consumer is the you know the front office type i think they're going to be just as transformative on the back office we're working with all the large payers on accelerating fire through the fast project and the da vinci group so a lot of the massive friction in the system the whole quality measure reporting world, the prior authorization world, a lot of this will, I think, go away as we communicate the data in a much richer way so that we don't need these very narrowly scoped solutions such as individual quality measures or you know individual protracted discussions about um, prior authorization. those. Those are really information flow questions and payment questions. Mm -hmm. You can reimagine that world infused really with a lot more information so that payers and the public will have a lot more accountability through machine learning and big data type of analysis and won't have to engage in these very, very expensive one-off hand curated activities. So I think the back end, you know, the back office part, the payment part of the world is going to be moving at least as rapidly as the front end consumer part of the world here
0: i'd love to hear that i know that a lot of my audience does as well because i mean that even goes to address some of the burnout issues that we've even you know that we talked about with denise here before you came on air it's just there's a lot of burden and we need to help the clinicians as much as we you know we need to navigate consumerism so i completely agree that's excellent
6: yeah i mean we've done um you know it's it's actually mandated and cures that. ONC and CMS um analyze burden we've done a number of things with CMS on reporting burden um and we're addressing some of these you know more deeply rooted burdens um literally as we speak that uh, you know we've just mentioned the prior authorization some of the uh, quality reporting because those you know it's interesting the burden is not it's often attributed to the EMR mm-hmm. it's not fundamentally the EMR i mean you could argue about you know, the quality and usability of some of the, you know, specific interfaces. But much of the burden is really how we've layered payment policies into the EMR workflow. And that's, you know, not a great home for those things. Um, We need to uncouple, you know, we
0: need to get the payment out of the clinical workflow. And that's excellent. Very good perspective. I, I, I agree. Um, any important dates, uh, Dr. Rucker that you think we should keep an eye on from your perspective and coming from the ONC or CMS just for the education edification of my audience?
6: Well, we are targeting and, uh, you know, rulemaking in DC is a complicated, uh, is a complicated <laughs> yes. activity. Yes. Um, as I am, uh, yes. sort of, uh, increasingly aware having come <laughs> to this a little bit as a, uh, as a citizen from, you know, free roaming citizen for 30 years who's now a, a federal policy person for yes. the last two. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, we're targeting, the administration is targeting, um, end of the year for the ONC and CMS rules to really uh, make the government part of this a reality. The um, implementation date we're targeting um, for two years after the rule is final. And ultimately what we're asking for is providers work with their EHR vendors and stand up a uh, highly secure data endpoint. That is, in and of itself, is basically the simple ask. We think, uh, you know, mo- most of the EHR vendors actually already have these in prototype running as we speak today. And uh, that's basically the ask. And, um, you know, we hope that that will be, we anticipate that will be done in ways that does not create, um, other than putting, standing up the endpoint, additional ongoing work for um, providers that this is, in essence, an automated process. So uh, that, those are the timelines we're looking at at the moment.
0: Excellent. Very, very helpful. And, um, and it's great work. I, I mean, you were on the uh, the citizen side for a long time where I reside. I've done a lot of policy work, but and I know what it takes uh, in what you're what you're doing on our behalf, and we're just grateful for you and, and for you and specifically you and your position. You're a great advocate for us. You you know what shoes that we walk in as innovators, uh, and uh, and then you're balancing that very well with policy. So thank you very much, Dr. Rucker.
6: Well, thank you very much. Yeah, and I think you're going to hear from. Uh, one of my colleagues here, uh, Steve Posnack as well.
0: You got it. D- Dr. Donald Rucker, uh, Chief uh, National Coordinator for Health IT uh, and really one of our, our chief policy people in the industry. So thank you very much, Dr. Rucker. Thank you for joining the show and have a great afternoon.
6: All right, Justin. Thank you very much. Thank Bye.
0: you. Bye. And do we have Steve Posnack joining us.
7: I'm here. Hey, and Steve. I didn't hang up by unmuting myself.
0: So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much for having me. And uh we were I was singing your praises so I hope your ears were ringing but both Roberta and I were singing your praises as uh we came on air. Um you know Dr. Rucker's terrific and and you are as well. You've been, you know, you you know our industry very well. You've been in the trenches with us trying to learn a lot about our industry uh, through the many years. How long have you been at ONC? Has it been 10 years now or 8 years or how long have uh, you been?
7: if you can believe it I've just cra- crossed past 14.
0: Four- 14 with ONC?
7: Fourteen with ONC, July so two thousand five.
0: Was that day one? Was ONC then? Uh, Pretty uh, well. Close it was, it was a, uh,
7: you know maybe eight or nine months after okay. the formation of the office, which was April 2000, uh, 2004.
0: Yeah, David, Doctor David Brailler. Wow,
7: correct. Excellent. Yeah, I've been through all the all the national coordinators.
0: <laughs> well, I got a quick Brailer story. So, um, literally. Uh, the first time i ever testified before congress i had uh, i didn't know who the other witnesses were um i was asked before one of the uh the i think it was energy and commerce and the three guests were me david dr david brailer and then uh, an orthopedic surgeon and a very smart gentleman but and i had literally prepped for probably a week and a half i had teams helping me write my testimony i had i mean literally it was it consumed me for i mean literally a week and a half David Brailer walks in the room. Had nothing prepared. He sits next to me. We shake hands, and he writes his entire testimony. That's how. That's how smart he is. I am not smart at all. That's how smart Dr. Brailer is. He wrote his entire testimony as he was sitting next to me five minutes before we went live in the in the hearing room. Like I just I'm like look at him in awe. So anyhow, um, it uh, he but he was he was very good. He kicked all that off. Um, it really you know this is not. Uh, um, a story about the, you know, the, the national coordinator's office, but nonetheless, I was uh, very impressed with him. So those are my first interaction with him. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, Steve. Follow on there.
7: I, I, a quick, quick story for you as, as well, if we're sharing stories here. So when yeah. I first started straight out of grad school, it was the beginning of a lot of ONC's work from its infancy. And that's when we first put out the initial request for proposals on CCHIT, if you may remember. Yes, The original course. Nationwide Health Information Network work and uh, Hitsby health information technology standards panel. Yes. So all of these proposals came in and I was the low man on the totem pole. So I was in charge of uh, copying all of these to send them out to the reviewers. And the copy <laughs> machine happened to be right outside of Dr. Breller's office. So I'm pretty sure that that's you know, what he knew that I did uh, uh, for the office the, the time that he was there.
0: Yeah. Funny. That's great. It's, it's funny uh, so. so, um, but uh, but no you you have been so yeah for the last 14 years we you you've been in the trenches with us and so i want to first of all say thank you i know on behalf of the entire innovator and vendor community we want to say thank you uh, because for all your work and for being you know just just learning our life life cycles i think is very important i think you have a great beat on what we can implement I, and i'm not even really on the innovator side i kind of was for a long time i'm i'm now more on the investment side of the house, but I mean, I um, I spend a lot of time, you know, still out there, and, and I see how people how grateful they are uh, for the work that you do. So I want to say thank you again, Steve. Much you, appreciated. And you are the new deputy coordinator. Is that correct? That's correct. When is that, was that official? Today? Yesterday? In the last month or so? When's that official? When was uh, that? Uh,
7: Monday of last week. But who's counting, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Congratulations. From so, boy to direct exactly yeah that's right so well, well yes from coffee boy to uh, deputy director pretty amazing that's right and you've just had your your second child or in the last few months or year or so is that true or
7: uh it, it, time time is dating us as well so my <laughs> my daughter turned six and my son turned nine. Oh my gosh
0: wow i remember you when you had yeah young toddler i remember when you had your children yeah. your first children Wow, so six and nine. Oh my! Yes, I am. Well, it's all right, Roberta. When I came in studio, Roberta said I was her. Oh, what term did you say, Roberta? I was your oldest great. guest. Yes, which is great show. show oldest, oldest show, show. Um, and I said yes. Okay. I am getting older. It's been six years. I've done my shows. So, anyhow, but diving in now to some of your, you know, your recommendations for my audience. Um, what healthcare and health they treat trends are you seeing from your perspective in Catbird Seat, Steve?
7: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, a, it's a tough act to follow, Dr. <laughs> Rucker. So, yes. I, I mean, you know, just to piggyback on a few things that, that he mentioned as well, um, you know, right at the, toward the end of his remarks, you know, we are seeing an opportunity for convergence in a number of areas, uh, the clinical and financial administrative, uh, area that, that he mentioned as well. Um, you know, there's a, there's a blending opportunity among, uh, the, the different data sets that are available equally for mm-hmm. research too. So as we start to move into the, the 2020s now that we're approaching this, this new decade, uh there's a, a greater opportunity to use APIs, application programming interfaces to really stitch together uh many of the data sets that have existed in uh, their respective silos or uh other other areas in the healthcare system. And and that is the app economy that we really see from a trend perspective shifting uh from the uh bespoke or, or I like to call it artisanal interoperability That's to great. more of this uh you know modern web-based um, you know, API oriented, the consumer experiences that we have today with, you know, maps and Uber and, and other types of ways that we engage in the economy th- that I think we see as a fundamental shift uh, for uh, healthcare trends. And, and some of it, you know, we're contributing to through our 21st century cures rulemaking.
0: Excellent. So in helping people navigate some of those trends, you know, what are two or three best practices or strategies or rules or information uh, would you share to to help my audience navigate those?
7: Yeah, certainly. You know, we, as uh, your Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT, uh, are participating in various different industry efforts. Uh, We also, from time to time, uh, convene groups. So we hold workshops. So there's ample opportunities uh, in a public-facing way. For stakeholders to contribute in the work that ONC is participating in. But equally, we have a health IT advisory committee, of which I'm sure you're familiar. Uh, many of uh, our uh, key stakeholders across a, a wide uh, representation are part of that. Uh, that uh, advisory committee accepts public comments at, at multiple times during the meeting. So that's another opportunity for um, you know your listeners to engage with the people that are giving ONC advice uh, as, as an opportunity. Uh, the last one would be As there are additional rulemakings, and there will continue to be on, you know, that annual cycle with CMS payment rules and and other things that everyone is predictably scheduled to respond to, uh, those, as I'm sure everyone has seen over the past 10 years, have become more increasingly health IT focused, uh, be it for, you know, blue button related activities that CMS is involved in, or, uh, you know, to to make uh, alternative payment models more of a reality.
0: Now that's excellent and I will take a moment just to let my audience know I have a good mix of innovators and vendors and also providers but it's very important to uh on behalf of your sector even or even yourself and your own institution is to look at the rules and comment. And, and also I think it's important I've learned and why my relationships with Capitol Hill always work so well is I would you know, point out what may not work or what we feel it doesn't work. But point out what does work and what, you know, what d- really is positive because people tend to always focus on the negative and the bad. But I want to make an open call. Also point out what's good in these bills? Because we don't want to, if, if we only hear the bad, and I mean, I'm, I'm on the policy side, but, you know, we need, you, you're you a policymaker, and so you need to hear what's good, and then also hear what's bad, and so you can kind of ebb and flow, but you want to say a few words on that and, and share your ideas or thoughts?
7: Yeah, absolutely, and, and uh, totally would, plus one, <laughs> uh, all your remarks there, uh, you know, just from our experience, having, you know, worked on all the rules that ONC has done, uh, it's, it's important for us to see the context in which um, you know, stakeholders think they're, the ideas that we've proposed are good. And then equally to help us play out situations where, um, you know, there may be an unintended consequence or a particular business model may be impacted in an unanticipated way. All of those help us and help everybody else get to a place where there's a better policy at the end of the day. And so that's what all of us are working toward and that's why you know the public comment process is is really important, um, both for legislative purposes as well as for the regulatory stuff.
0: Yeah. No. Excellent. And just yeah, to make everybody sure you know be constructive, uh, but again, uh, do engage. Don't just ignore. Don't complain. Uh, don't just go to some open forum and but but make it a constructive comments and and also you know comment within the constructive and allowed comment periods. That's very very important. Um, as Because as, as, we're always having new people engage. I mean, even from, you know, Denise said that up to, you know, 40% or 40% of attendees of the hymns annual conferences are new. So we have new people coming in all the time. And that's why my, I want to use my show as a platform to learn, learn best practices and strategies, but also how to be good, you know, good citizens here in our healthcare ecosystem. So we're all moving the, uh, the industry forward together because it's going to take all of us and we have a monumental task <laughs> ahead of us. Um, but, uh, but with people like you, Steve, and, and your office and Dr. Rucker and Catherine and everybody else there, uh, we know we, uh, we're, we're in great hands on the policy side. So um, thinking beyond today, what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three years from now? Because we're really looking ahead in, in the Wayne Gretzky world, you know, where will the puck be? Or where's it going?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, another opportunity to, to emphasize the, the future that we see with application programming interfaces, uh, FHIR, you know, fast healthcare interoperability resources, the HL7 standard. Um, I'm sure yeah. you've heard the various puns that have been used uh, associated with all the different FHIR activities. <laughs> uh, I believe Don mentioned DaVinci. Yes. Uh, the Karen Alliance is working on one for patient access uh, to data. There are a number of others that have, have uh, started as well. And so, as we we start to see more effort toward implementing Fire, both for I like to call it single-serving purposes, when you have a, an n of one, you know, patient seeking access to their data, or you want to provide uh, clinical decision support services uh, based on a, a specific uh, individual's uh, health data, all the way to understanding uh, population-level services, where you can use APIs today now to make that m- much more efficient. And it's important context from a trend perspective. Uh, you know, we sense an overall industry discomfort in some of the change that's occurring, and, and that is natural with, with the changes that happen. Um, but what we see are, are, are analogies to today's existence. So when you talk about, um, you know, population level services, today that happens under business associate agreements, under the, the general HIPAA privacy and security framework, and what Fire and, and standards like it are doing are making the healthcare experience more efficient. And optimizing the way in which data is, you know, being exchanged from an interoperability uh, related context. Uh, Equally, as we look toward patient access, and this may be a good segue for my, my colleague Catherine, who's going to follow, you know, there are some concerns around security and privacy. Those are two different constructs. So when we talk about API related security, uh, that is something that many industries have already put in place. Uh, Our proposals in the 21st century Cures Act proposed rule that we included you know, required industry standard secure connections, uh, required the OAuth 2 uh, authentication and authorization process, all of which are put in place as layers that when you, uh, to give a shout out to my colleague, Devin McGraw, she describes this as you hire an app, you pick the app that you want to use to access your data, and then it has to still go through that security process where you give your credentials and verify your identity to a covered entity in this case uh, under the HIPAA context. And all those things are are, you know, the shift from paper to electronic is something that we experienced the past, you know, say five to seven years. Yes. And now it's really on, on having that data be more accessible to patients and for other services that healthcare providers would engage in are the trends that we would see and what we're trying to support with our rulemaking activity.
0: It's terrific. Yeah. And I'll second uh, plus one on Devin. Devin's phenomenal. She's been a, a great guest in the past too and a good friend from colleague in the industry. Um, on data, uh, I mean, on dates. what any important dates that we should keep an eye on, Steve, that we, you should you want to let our my audience know?
7: Uh, let's see here. The things that Don didn't already cover. Um, so uh, as as uh, your audience may be familiar, the federal fiscal year ends on September thirtieth. Uh, we have a few um, you know procurements that were outstanding. so we're in the process of of going through and selecting the recognized coordinating <laughs> entity as part of the trusted exchange framework and common agreements. Uh, activities to implement that portion of the 21st Century Cures Act. So that's upcoming. Uh, We also uh, have um, investments that we make in what we call leading edge acceleration projects or LEAP. Uh, And we have a few uh, cooperative agreement announcements associated with that uh, investment line as well. So those will be forthcoming in the uh, next few weeks as the, the fiscal year ends.
0: Excellent. Appreciate it, Steve. Thank you, my friend. Always great to uh, to hear your voice and uh, hear your wisdom. And we're again grateful for you for what you do every day for us. Uh, we know you're probably doing much bigger things in the world, but you're you're sacrificing yourself for the betterment of our industry, and and uh, and we know it. So thank you very much, my friend.
7: Awesome. Thanks for having me.
0: You got it. Have a great afternoon. Thank one, you. you do.
1: One, one last thing for our listeners oh. on Steve: if you're not following him on Twitter, you're really <laughs> missing, missing out, out. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Thank you. I've smiled more than once That's reading
0: your. Yeah, this is Roberta Mullin from Healthcare <laughs> Now Radio. Yes, excellent. Uh,
7: yeah, it's it's a it's a mix of uh, you know dad humor and uh, <laughs> other health IT snark, I suppose.
0: Well, it's the it's also the levity. We need the levity in our right. industry. We tackle very big issues on a daily basis, and having that levity mm-hmm. uh, adds to our day and, and helps round them out so
1: that you can yeah. keep your sense of humor is a, a, a miracle yes
0: we need to
7: <laughs> i appreciate that as well
0: thanks steve helps us stay sane <laughs> all right take care thanks again steve take care my friend Bye. in stone do we have Catherine here Catherine, are you there hi hey Yes. how, how are Great you joining
8: the show justin
0: thank you very much good Catherine. good and it's Catherine marchesini is that correct that's correct, yes. Excellent. Chief Privacy Officer for ONC, um, and I uh, guess and, uh, you're a first-time caller uh, and a first-time guest on my show, so welcome.
8: Thank you. Happy to be here. I look forward to chatting.
0: Excellent. Same here. So I guess um, I am probably not as familiar with your uh, role uh, within ONC, so maybe give us 30 seconds on on your main charge and, and what you're, uh, what you're overseeing there.
9: Absolutely.
8: Um, Yeah, happy to. So uh, as you mentioned, I'm the Chief Privacy Officer at ONC, which I serve as a a Senior Advisor to the National Coordinator um, on areas around privacy, security, data stewardship, um, and also interact closely with our federal partners um, and really trying to make sure that in particular, as we're looking at sharing, um, accessing, using electronic health information, that we're really looking at Baking in privacy and security into the technology and encouraging industry to do so as well.
0: Excellent, perfect. So, what health healthcare and health IT trends are you seeing, at least from your catbird seat in the industry, or would you recommend my uh, my audience look out for?
8: Sure thing, uh, and I know uh, Dr. Rucker and Steve also touched on this, but uh, Justin, one of the trends is really looking at uh, giving patients access to their health information or, or health records. Yes and particularly, at least where ONC sits, um, encouraging patients to exercise their HIPAA right of access to get electronic um, access to data that most healthcare providers and and plans have um, about the individual, as well as those operating on their behalf. And your listeners probably are aware of the term business associates under HIPAA. I think we're we're somewhat at a tipping point in how industry is thinking about data and the role patients play in healthcare. the HIPAA right of access actually has existed since the HIPAA privacy rule was issued in 2003. Uh, Many people aren't familiar with it, or they're not as familiar with it, and they often consider access um, just as another term for or synonymous uh, with the individual authorization under HIPAA, which is a different method for sharing data. Uh, You know, in short, um, the HIPAA authorization, which it's a it's a permitted disclosure, and it's usually a third-party or provider-initiated request, whereas what, you know, the trend is on the HIPAA right of access, it's a required disclosure under HIPAA, and it's usually, you know, it is patient-initiated mm-hmm. um, and directed on behalf of the patient, and it's actually something that a covered entity has to honor um, in most cases. And so... You know, what I'm focusing on and also, the you know, our broader office, um, we see that providing individuals with easy access to their health information is, you know, it is a way to empower them. I know Dr. Rucker spoke a little bit about that, um, to, to have more control over decisions um, regarding health and spending and, and overall costs. Um, but really, I guess the individual right of access, you know, for it to be fully realized, um, it has to be operationalized. And part of our efforts is, you know, as you are more than familiar, as well as your listeners, achieving widespread interoperability, this includes creating a mechanism for individuals to readily exercise this access right. And I know Stephen yes. and, and Dr. Rucker spoke to, you know, the API and, and ways to get, you know, digital information, making it, you know, available on, you know, the smartphone Um but I, I wanted to just share a little bit about what we've been hearing from stakeholders um, since we've issued our proposed rule. Um, there seems to be, you know, there's some concern out there around the security of APIs, application program interfaces, um, practices that healthcare related apps are, are doing, and the secondary use of, of identifiable um, electronic health information. Um, I know Dr. Rucker and Steve spoke to the security of APIs. So what I'll share briefly, mm-hmm. um, just to talk about some of the privacy, you know, what we've been hearing. Um, I guess the common industry concern is sharing, you know, when you're sharing and releasing health data to the patient, is that the data is no longer going to be protected by HIPAA. So once the data leaves the provider or the EHRs control, it in theory, you know, it leaves the protective realm of HIPAA. Um, so you may have been hearing this, and listeners, you know, may have these concerns. You know, it really comes down to the discussion about, you know, what is an allowable secondary use of data, and and how should apps address this? Um, and I'll just, you know, just close with, you know, this is part of a national discussion that extends beyond healthcare. Um, generally speaking, you know, privacy and security protections do not follow the data. And many in Congress, um, as well as industry, you know, they're looking at you know how do how do apps use and disclose this data. It's not unique to healthcare. Um, we are you know we're trying our best at ONC to strike the right balance between patients' right to access um, their information for more informed decisions and the concerns around secondary use of data. But, but really from a privacy perspective, it, it's almost about, you know, it's usually about control um, an individuals control over the use and disclosure of their data. And, you know, the individual gets to decide that.
0: Yeah, no, uh, that's that's excellent. So, and you just covered some of this here, but what, what are a few best practices or strategies that you can share to help others navigate that?
8: Sure, uh, so... I, You know, if folks aren't familiar with the HHS HIPAA access guidance, um, this was issued several years ago, and I would just say, you know, learn about the right of access, you know, what is and is not required regarding sharing patient information and, you know, including sending it to a third party, um, a mobile app of, of the patient's choice, and there's written materials, educational videos, there's actually some medical education that really speaks to this. Um, There's also some FAQs. I know there's been some questions about liability Mm -hmm. um, and business associate relationships when information is shared, kind of what happens there. And then also, um, you know, if listeners are are healthcare providers, if they're a plan, even, you know, developers that might be supporting this, you know, to check in with the medical record management department or the individual, you know, within your office that oversees this function, just to see how your organization is currently handling this. Um, and supporting the right of access uh, to see if there's ways to improve it or even automate it. And then I guess the other kind of best practice or tip if for for app developers listening in, yes, while OMC doesn't regulate the consumer health technology, so for example, the third party apps, I would see, you know we we provided um, what's referred to as the model privacy notice. And really, it's a, it's a template of sorts that an app developer could use to inform a patient, a consumer, individual about how their technology, you know, stores, uses the information, shares it. Um, it's openly, you know, available. It's free for, for developers to use. and It's really our effort to encourage transparency. It's excellent. Um, so, so developers can clearly convey, you know, what privacy and security practices they're using. Um, it you know, sometimes most people are familiar with the FDA food label. Um, that's kind of mm-hmm. how it's structured or, or a way that it, it's modeled after.
0: No, that's terrific. So, a model privacy notice. And I, I just see that really as instilling confidence um, for the consumer. So, I think that's terrific. I was not aware of that. And I think that's great. So, I'm going to actually where, – where can we find that? Where can my audience – where can I find that's that? That's
8: great but, question. Yeah, um, I failed to mention that. Um, it's available on healthit.gov, the ONC website.
0: I know it well, but I, I'm going to check that out. So healthit.gov, that is terrific. I mean, for developers to look at that and, and um, if you give them basically a model strategy on how to prom- I mean, basically share that from their perspective and what they're doing. So it's, it's, that's excellent.
8: Correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 So and we actually even had, uh, it was incorporated, you know, public comment. There's been several rounds of trying to, you know, improve the product um, as well as a way to make it, I guess, digitally available um, in, I guess, a, a user-friendly uh, format for individuals
0: that's terrific thank you for that so healthit.gov and look up for the model privacy notice so following up just in our last um, few minutes uh thinking looking beyond i know as a as a regulator it's you know you can't do this you know probably with with as much freedom as us that are as you, as as dr rucker said as regular citizens um but thinking beyond today what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three years from now
8: I think of two things that I know Dr. Roger Steve mentioned as well, but I guess increased data liquidity and portability. People, you know, particularly patients, they're going to want their data faster. They're going to want, you know, more of it and they're going to demand transparency on all fronts. Uh, patients are going to want to know, you know, more data than what they're receiving now, you know, labs, they want images, um, you know, things, you know, just as easily on their phone. They're also going to want more control over how they receive that data. So, You know, I know we're trying to move industry towards sharing it apps, or encouraging people to have the option to have that capability, but it could be that, you know, an individual wants to share it with a mobile app or or a provider that's not in in an existing network um, or with an individual that's not traditionally seen as a player in the healthcare space. Uh, The other kind of area, I think, I, I just anticipate there being a greater need I would say an overall desire for trust and transparency. Um, and, and that's going to become increasingly important. Uh, you know, meaning, I guess, you know, building trust of the individuals that are using the technology, uh, engaging in, you know, also your, your healthcare delivery system. And then, you know, as mentioned earlier, providing the transparency to individuals. I know Dr. Rucker spoke about transparency, but, yes. you know, being transparent to your, your users, even when you're unprompted, um, or required to do so. I mean, patients are going to demand, you know, for example, they're going to want to know how you shared your data, what data did you share, who accessed it. Um, you know, to the extent folks can get ahead of that, I think they'll be better off in the
0: long run. That is fantastic, Catherine. That, you just finished really strong. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was kind of a grand slam of exactly where our healthcare system is going over the next three years. So. <laughs> terrific Uh,
8: thank you also say well i know we're around lunchtime and if people need to take a break or multitasking
0: no that's fantastic thank you um so i guess and as i asked uh dr rucker and steve any important dates from your perspective that we should keep an eye on or how you know from from the year you know hhs or onc or anything from your perspective
8: sure Uh, i know there were some some other kind of dates that were thrown out earlier, in addition to what uh, Don and Steve shared, I would mention, you know, there was a discussion about the FACA, the Federal Advisory Committee, yeah. and, and ONC's FACA is referred to as the HITECH, huh? um, which is an acronym for the Health IT Advisory Committee. They um, have been on a little bit of a break over the summer because we've worked them really hard um, as we're working through some of the rulemaking, but there's actually going to be a public meeting. All their meetings are public. There's one that is happening on September the 17th. Um, the information, you know, healthit.gov is also where you can get the dial-in. Um, there's there's an opportunity at every public meeting um, to provide public comment. Mm. Um, and I know, Justin, you mentioned earlier and trying to encourage your listeners to, to provide positive and negative, yes. um, you know, comments on the rule. So this actually is Almost policy making happening in real time. Yes. Um, for listeners that may not be as familiar with with FACA's, um, but they actually provide formal recommendations to our office as we are thinking through particular issues. And so, if you, you know, you or your listeners. You know, want to participate in policymaking. Um, but it's a some discussions are, are more lively than others. Yeah. Um But you know, at every meeting, you can you know, you'll know when it happens. But there's an opportunity for public input. So I would you know encourage listeners if they haven't you know participated in the past or you know are just interested um, that is happening on the 17th of September.
0: Yeah, that's terrific. And I do encourage everybody, certainly if you have any expertise in the area that's being discussed, uh, do constructively share that. Again, what's working, what's not working is important for governments and important for industry uh, to see that. And, uh, and you guys are terrific. I, I got to say – um, I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet but I uh, but I've known Don and Steve for a very long time and how just your office uh, the ONC takes our comments so seriously reviews every single one and I know that for a fact because we're in meetings and through the through the you know decades now um where any someone from ONC will recite a public comment that w- was written and just a random one and they they know and and so we I know for a fact uh, they've you know mentioned this on air you know these public comments, and so uh, you know you guys just take uh, all of our information and distill it down, and uh, and we're grateful for all your hard work and your expertise.
8: No, thank you, thank you, Justin. Uh, thank you for for having me on your show and for what you're doing to help your listeners better better na- excuse me better mm-hmm. navigate this area of healthcare um, and encouraging folks to get involved
0: well i appreciate and then you, and you're great just so you know your your topic is extremely complex i mean with privacy and then the nuts and bolts of what goes into privacy and security in our industry it's extremely difficult to understand but you did a great job explaining it and explaining the import what's important and why it's important and then how to engage and, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that and, and thankful for your time Catherine.
8: Thank you. Likewise. Take
0: care. Catherine Marchesini, ONC Chief Privacy Officer. So, again, thank you. And uh, now we'll uh, transition back over to our phenomenal studio uh, and studio guests, um, Carolyn Bradfield, co-founder and CEO of Interact Lifeline. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Justin. Happy to be here. And uh, you're actually a returning guest. You've been at least one time, right? I have. Yeah. She's a serial entrepreneur. Catherine is a is – Catherine. Catherine my last guest. Carolyn is a serial entrepreneur and actually a very close friend of me and my family and my wife. Uh, and um, I'm just uh, thankful that you took the time out of your busy schedule. You have a lot going on. So
9: We do have a lot going on.
0: <laughs> so uh, – because you've launched a new company. So maybe give us 30 seconds to a minute. It's a um, – it's a – not a so, social – it's not a social – what's the um, term? It's not a social impact. Social impact company, correct? Right. Yeah. So why don't you give us 30 seconds on your new venture or a minute on your new venture?
9: So the company's called Interact Lifeline. And basically, we exist to help treatment organizations leverage technology to stay connected to their clients if they've been in substance abuse and addiction treatment with the goal specifically of – improving their recovery, reducing their relapse rate, and just improving their overall experience. So we have um, technology in three specific markets. One is in the treatment marketplace with addiction treatment companies. The second is in collegiate recovery, helping automate those programs so that they can serve more clients. And the third initiative will be launched in 2020. It's called Safety Net. And that's using technology to keep track and monitor at-risk adolescents and young adults to prevent prevent them from using substances and the onset of the disease of addiction.
0: Yeah. Now I love it when you first shared your uh, your plan with me. You're striking the chord. I mean, you can't pick up a headline today or you can't read a newspaper. You can't see without seeing the impacts of addiction on our society. And then from a budget standpoint, it's a it's a significant growing issue from a budgetary standpoint as well.
9: Yeah, I mean, the impact to the U.S. economy um, with people that suffer from addiction is just right under a trillion dollars a year and that's in healthcare it's in lost productivity yeah. it's in the court system um and 70,000 people a year um die from overdose uh, my daughter being one of them so it's a huge um huge drain um mentally physically and economically on our on our economy
0: yeah in our, yeah in our society i mean this is a very serious topic, but I actually watch live PD, and and when you watch these – I watch a three-hour police show, and I cook dinner for my family. I love to cook every night that I'm home, but I put on this show in the background as I'm cooking, and you – I mean literally drug overdoses and drug offenses are – I mean 50 percent of the show. It's just they're always responding to either – well, either car accidents due to you know drugs or drunk driving. Um, domestic issues drugs are usually involved um, or just overdoses and how much narcan is used i mean literally that's 56 percent of our what our police response so i mean a trillion dollars i would say is is simple and easy a number to achieve just by seeing how overloaded our judicial system is our police our enforcement um, and never mind our health i mean and and what it means to our health care in general so i certainly see so you're addressing a significant issue Uh, in our society, and you're a successful entrepreneur, so you put that together Obviously, it's going to be a phenomenal opportunity watching you take off here. Thank you. So what, you know, and and you touched on this a little bit, but um, what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing in the industry?
9: Well, I'd like to actually comment on another company that we own called Convey Services, because basically, Mm -hmm. you know, that company exists to provide a connection between suppliers in the uh, telecommunications cloud and IT services with um, independent sellers who go into the healthcare sector and sell services. And so some of the trends that I'm seeing um, I'll give you three specific mm-hmm. ones, um, and then we'll talk about how it applies to mental health. Trend number one is streamlining and improving the patient experience in the way that they communicate with the facility. So, for example, um, typically um, you might have to call in, wait for a live operator, and engage with them. So unified communication technology and contact center management technology have come to the forefront, so now a patient connects with the hospital if they need to talk to somebody live, um, their uh, screen pops up, the person knows who they are, but they offer alternative ways to communicate. So it might be through texting, it might be through other electronic means, and the goal really is just to raise patient satisfaction with the way they communicate. Um, the second big trend that we see being sold into the healthcare market is technology to streamline the way case managers stay in touch with um, patients once they have been discharged. You know, so if, I'll give you an example with a specific client. Um, one of our uh, telecom vendors or technology vendors works with Humana who has to keep track of 500,000 patients and they only have 2,000 case managers to do so. So they use technology, specifically texting technology, to outreach to these clients, um, ask questions, get a response, remind them to do things. And if they get no response or response that that doesn't meet their care plan, then the case manager engages and gets involved. So it's um, that type of technology to prevent readmissions to the hospital. The third trend that we see is um, the IoT technology to track and manage assets. So just things simply like, where's my wheelchair inside of a hospital? or um, putting sensors on um, equipment to proactively know when they need maintenance or when they might fail um, so that you can, um, make sure to, to manage your assets, which are an incredibly expensive mm-hmm. thing. So so we see those three um, trends in um, the regular healthcare care side. Unfortunately, in mental health, a lot of technology has not transitioned over for treatment centers to be able to take advantage of these process improvements.
0: Okay. Yeah, no, I that's excellent. I completely agree. And you're the – literally every single guest. So what? nine before you had brought up patient experience right and that was your so i mean you're uh, this is a resounding theme so anybody listening if you're not helping to manage uh patient experience and patient you know that patient uh, component of of healthcare and consumerism you're going to be missing the boat
9: well let's Um, talk about patient experience and mental health because i think that that's really very important so um if somebody goes to rehab You know, their disease is treated like an acute condition. They spend 30 days, they spend a lot of money, and then they exit the program with very little connection back to the program. So they've um, come from very significant structure inside the program to lack of structure, and they really don't know how to manage their recovery. They don't know how to, um, you know, manage... Uh, their treatment after that and they're just not connected um, to the program that they trusted to treat them so that patient experience um, for 30 days is great but um, because this is a chronic versus an acute disease it just doesn't um, carry forward so um, technology uh, really needs to be um, injected into that equation so that staff can become more efficient like the Humana example that I gave you and people mm-hmm. can better stay connected um, and educated about how to execute a wellness strategy to stay in recovery and improve their experience.
0: So, following that uh, that track, you know, what are a few best practices or strategies uh, can you share for my audience to be able to navigate that and those trends there?
9: Um. Well, on the on either side of the coin, I mean, I think what people need to do is look at where processes are manual. And find technology to automate those processes. I mean, oftentimes change happens not by the fact that technology is so brilliant or so great. It's just that we need a process change. And technology is the only way, in my opinion, to leverage um leverage improvement there because, you know, it's um at the at the end of the day it becomes an inexpensive decision to make uh, versus go and try and staff up and stay you know, keep more staff on in order um, to do this. So again, back to the Humana example, I don't know how many case managers they had before technology was right. implemented, but I guarantee you 2,000 case managers can't keep up with 500,000 people if all they have in their arsenal is the ability to pick up the phone and try and, and call. Um, the second big thing I would encourage people to do is look at the devices that people are using today to communicate. Yes. You know, you look at the adolescent and young adult population, which are the ones that tend to be in addiction treatment. 95% 95% have um, constant access to a smartphone. Yeah. 88% have constant access to a laptop or desktop. So you've got to use the technology that they're using to stay connected to them. And I would highly suggest that people investigate, you know, what mobility strategies that they could use to stay connected to their clients. That's why business texting and um HIPAA-compliant um, outreach from application to application is just so um, critically important to understand what that what those technologies will bring.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think we're even using um, smartphones when, when we're uh, working with health systems to manage even some of their uh, providing care for the homeless population. They don't have access to much, but they always have a cell. Many of them have cell phones. Always, Yes. And so we can actually manage them better and, and give them better care. And we use their smartphones and sometimes even reaching out and community services through Facebook because a lot of them have Facebook pages. Right. So they have nothing else, but they got a smartphone and a Facebook page. And so we actually can from the health system wants to reach out and educate them about what services are available to them. They do that you know, via Facebook cause, because of their mobile phone. Bring up your example. Exactly. Of using the smartphone and being smart about it. Um, So in in our closing uh, few minutes, just thinking beyond today, I mean, you're a great innovator and and leader and and, uh, entrepreneur. What do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three years from
9: now? Well, I think what you're going to start to see is the patients taking on much more responsibility for their own care. And so if you empower them with technology to do so by giving them ways to communicate, by giving them ways to educate themselves, um, to keep reminded about what they need to do to stay healthy, mm-hmm. then it takes the burden off the healthcare provider to do that. And so my belief is you'll start to see, um, these mobile applications, um, portal networks and educational opportunities, um, become more prominent, but I think the goal is to empower the patient to be the best steward of his or her own care, excellent. not only on the healthcare side, but on the mental health side. So they know what to do to stay healthy.
0: You're spot on. That's fantastic. Um, where's your, your new company? Where do you intersect with all this?
9: Um, the new company has launched and we're in pilot programs right now with um, six collegiate recovery communities, um, big organizations like the University of Alabama, Kennesaw State here in Atlanta. We're launching our pilot program with treatment centers October 1st. and we're building out some of the more interesting sides of our mobile technology specifically with devices and wearables that will give you the opportunity to detect potential overdose and alert everybody and their brother mm. so we can reduce the number of deaths that we experience. Um, today.
0: That's excellent. And that's Interact Lifeline. That's your new company. That's
9: correct. Interact Lifeline.
0: Fantastic.
9: Carolyn, thank you very much for joining
0: me in studio. Carolyn Bradfield, president and CEO and co-founder of Interact Lifeline. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, you're always a great ally of my com- my show and, and me personally. So thank you.
9: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you it. Got it.
0: Carolyn Bradfield from
9: uh, Interact Lifeline.
0: Thank you. All right. Beth Friedman, how are you?
10: I'm wonderful, Justin. How are you?
0: Excellent. Another co-founder and CEO, Agency 1022. Welcome to the show.
10: Thank you. Thanks for inviting me.
0: You're also a long-term friend of mine and of my family, and um, but this is your first time in studio and as a guest, correct?
10: It is. I was telling Roberta, I've often been the one interviewing, and I've watched you interview people at HIMSS. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But this is the first time where I'm the interviewee.
0: <laughs> well, I know how much wisdom and expertise is uh in your head, so I look forward to my audience hearing a lot of it. So.
10: Absolutely. Thank you're you. You're always
0: you're wonderful. I always rely on you um when I need to get something done quickly or something in the media or a press release, you're always my go-to. I don't I usually give you a whole lot of th- a uh, lead time, but you always react and you're extremely professional and your team is phenomenal. You have Jessica Clifton is one of the best in the industry. She is. Um, I've worked with her on and off for many, many years. Uh, and she's just terrific. And you have her. She's a great asset to your team. So um, I want to thank you for all that you do uh, and what you guys do for our industry and a lot of just my friends and peers that I push your way. So thank you. Absolutely. You handle everybody very, very well. Again, um, Beth Friedman, co-founder and CEO of Agency 1022. You're out of Atlanta. We've spoken about just the intellectual capital uh, that we have here in our community. Uh, We're fortunate, all the companies, the institutions, but we just have an amazing ecosystem here, and you're certainly one of those pillars and foundations. So thank you. Um, so, from your perspective, uh, what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing in the industry?
10: Well, I wanted to focus my time with you today, Justin, on the revenue cycle piece of healthcare. Excellent. I know you've had a lot of speakers on today on the regulatory side, on um, you know, sort of that patient communication, yes. patient touch piece. Yep. But when I attended the uh, Healthcare Financial Management Association conference (HFMA) this past June over the summer. There were several key trends that I heard, and they were different than what I've heard before at that same conference. So the first one that I wanted to share with your audience is – patient financial experience. So yes. we've been talking about patient experience all day. We've been talking about patient clinical experience for decades. Yes. I really heard the CFOs and the VPs of revenue cycle finally get it that patients that patient's financial journey yes. is uh, is becoming just as important as the patient's care journey and and it makes sense when you think about it from, you know, pre-registration, scheduling, that's a touch point in revenue cycle all the way to that last bill. So your patient Journey starts and ends, you know, really on that financial side. So, a lot of conversation about what they can do to improve the patient's financial journey.
0: Yeah, and I think my audience is grateful to hear your voice right now because literally everybody else, except for well, Bird Blitch really kicked it off. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, from Patient Co talking about the patient financial experience. Jeff Brown touched on it a little bit, but we've a lot of my my guests have been doctors or on the clinical side, and so we've heard the kind of a lot of the resounding themes, which is what I, I like to pull out themes, but revenue cycle and, and payment is at the point we got to pay for all this right uh, and right. we need people paying for all this that's right, and so it's critically important so you this is this is very refreshing uh, that we didn't leave this off of the show, and that's why I okay. wanted to certainly have you here when you we were talking you know speaking a month ago about having you on and you brought up what you wanted to speak about. I thought you were is is perfect, and the timing is is excellent because. It is so key. And it's, it's actually near and dear to my heart. I mean, I love the clinical side of the business, mm-hmm. but I also love the payment side and the revenue cycle. And I call it revenue cycle performance because you can optimize our current procedures and our, our, there's so much that we can do on the financial side to bring a, a better experience. Uh, and so I, right. I completely agree. Absolutely. So, um, so we, I mean, anything else that you want to follow on with that or what are the couple of best practices to navigate?
10: Well, you or? know – uh, speaking following on from that yes. at HFMA, there was yeah. one other trend yeah. I wanted to share with Please. your your um, audience today, and that's the technology piece. So I saw so much more technology at HFMA this year, and being fully integrated yes. into the revenue cycle, into the workflow of the revenue cycle ops folks. So you know AI, analytics, uh, propensity to pay eligibility I mean, I am seeing so much advancement in the revenue cycle technologies and the integration of that into our workflows. So I think that that is a huge area of focus. There's just no reason why we should be doing things the way we've been doing them in the revenue cycle because we've got so many more advanced technologies that can predict, you know, it, the payability of a yes. patient, do that up front and then that really feeds back into the patient experience because you can manage that patient's account financially knowing so much more than we used to know in the past. So I think the whole bringing technology to the forefront of the revenue cycle process was another huge trend.
0: Yeah. No, and that was brought up. um, Our good friend Denise Hines brought up the predictive piece of we're getting better in healthcare at that on the clinical side. But now, obviously, Mm -hmm. you you bring it up and we're getting better at that on the financial side. Correct. You know, which is critically important. Certainly, I mean, we need to predict payment and and payment strategies there because we're trying to build an organization and you've got to have an eye on revenue of where it's coming from and and the um, collectability of it.
10: Absolutely. And and uh, the biggest sector that I saw focus on at the conference was on the patient pay or the self-pay. You know um, that is a growing, growing, growing segment of every healthcare organization's AR, yes. and uh, being able to apply these predictive technologies to that piece of it, and then to engage that patient in that financial journey. it's really becoming a, a big trend. That's fantastic,
1: and not even self-pay. Um, the deductibles are so high now. Mm-hmm. The, Correct. The deductibles so high yeah. that that's you're paying most of your health care out of pocket anyway, and that's 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 mm-hmm. the new self-pay, yes. right? right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. self-pay. We used to think
10: about our homeless and our Medicaid's. Mm-hmm. Now self-pay is folks like me yeah. mm-hmm. who have a high deductible health plan, and when I go in for a procedure, mm-hmm. you know, knowing that I can do a no-interest patient loan for that deductible piece, that's huge. Yes, you know, that makes me loyal as a patient.
0: Right. Completely agree. Yeah, I mean, I mean, deductibles. I don't need to tell my audience they're five thousand to seventy five hundred dollars. My mine's actually ten five. I think my deductible mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I only pay a couple hundred dollars a month for healthcare insurance. So it yeah. is phenomenal. But I'll take it. Um, so what uh, what are a few what are two or three best practices or strategies that you can you know share with my audience to navigate those trends
10: well we just we just spoke about one I just brought mm-hmm. one up and I know your your speaker earlier today bird had um, mm-hmm. patient financing also yeah. that has become a must-have some of the VPs of revenue cycle and CFOs I sat with at the conference they 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 re, they um, yeah, they reiterated that point that we can't just think about this; we have to have it, and right. we have to do it very well. Yep. Uh, engaging with the patient financing companies and the patient financing programs, so that that's that's a really important strategy yep. for providers to do right now. Yeah,
0: because that actually brings it to another level. So there's 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 patient pay and self pay, but then patient financing is another component of that. And so I guess yeah, if you're integrating all of that. Um, and you can get 0% interest or, or financing, that's fantastic because I haven't even gotten to that side of the house. I, I know I'm aware of companies who will finance it for you, um, and they're a blessing to find for a lot of people because, you know, they can't come up with $3,000 or $5,000 or even $1,000 for mm-hmm. some procedures, but you, we don't want to delay care. As we know, 50 plus percent of people are delaying care based on, you know, Bird's uh, interview earlier. But, um, but uh, but yeah, what I mean, what are some of the products that you've seen out there? So zero percent financing or allowing people to oh, pay yeah. in stages. And,
10: mm-hmm. and And you know I I'm always my hand. I've used a program like that twice. It's great. And they're fantastic. If sure. I mean, one of our clients here in town, Clear Balance, they um they do a consumer survey every year. And just this past year, I pulled out some of the stats Please. for today's uh, conversation. 92% of the patients will return to a provider if payment options are provided. So, again, going into mm. that patient loyalty, patient financial satisfaction. Um, the the uh, In the survey, the patients are also sharing that experience with friends and family, which yes. is helping all of our providers. And then also, over 50% of the patients nationally now, as an average, have used a payment program. Yes. So it has become the norm uh, here in the United States.
0: That's excellent. Great stats and good strategy there. That's, I, actually, I just learned something.
10: Absolutely. So,
0: excellent. So thinking beyond today and, and kind of in Wayne Gretzky speak, where's the, puck's, where's, the, where's the puck going? What do you think we should look out for in a couple of years from now, in basically three years? Where is the healthcare industry going to Okay,
10: towards? so Justin, you've been in the industry long enough, and I've heard as well, to yes. remember the early 2000s when we were all putting in EMRs and EHRs. Yes. And you know, but most providers and, and health systems had one foot in sort of that digital boat. We knew we had to get all digitized, but we still had all this paper, right? And I people like yourself would ask me a question, how many years before the paper's gone? Yes. Well, I think the question now is how many years well will we still have fee for service? So I think that where it's going is a hundred percent Call it what you want. Mm -hmm. Value based, you know, paper performance, a risk based contracting. We are headed there. And at the conference this year, I think everybody accepts that we're all, we're all on that train and the train has left the station. What we're trying to figure out now Mm -hmm. and in the next two or three years is we all have to figure out what are the best practices to make that successful from technology, workflow, you know, all these new um, tools that we have, as well as payer contracting, you know, even using the predictive analytics to figure out how can we make better contracts with our payers when we go to risk. So I think that whole journey toward 100% 100% um, yes. away from fee-for-service. It's going to be painful. <laughs> it's not going to be easy, but it is definitely where we're all
0: headed. Actually, someone could say that's provocative, but I love it. I actually, I agree with you. That's kind of the health plan that I helped create here in Georgia. We, we, we've we done away with a lot of the, the fees. Um, you still have fee-for-service at some levels, but for the most part, all care is included in a, in like a monthly fee, and uh, and I, I agree. It's, it's better for the patients a holistic view of the patient. It's not nickel and diming and they can have full transparency on what they're going to spend on their healthcare costs. And like we have it with every other aspect of our life, mm-hmm. we have full transparency in almost everything um, except for healthcare. So I actually agree with you. I did not, I was not expecting that, but I, um, I love the concept. I think that'd be great for healthcare. It's just how do we successfully navigate that? Um, but I agree with you. It's,
10: it's, it's going to be a journey. There'll be a lot of travails that will be painful. Um, but I think that it is definitely where we're headed. To answer your question, yeah, yeah. one of the speakers at HFMA, um, when asked about when we would get there, which yeah. is the question we always would get, when will we be when will we be paperless? Yeah. Um, he said it was still another decade
1: away before a hundred percent, and I,
10: I, I would agree. I would concur. I agree.
0: Yeah, yeah. I would
1: concur. And in a decade, we'll have totally new uh, technology. So correct. Very true. Yeah. <laughs>
10: to support the journey. That's right. <laughs> and that, That's part of it. I mean, this journey can only be supported right. through technology, through mm-hmm. digitized revenue cycles, yes, through mm-hmm. data accuracy, data access, mm-hmm. and then also to your point, just on transparency. Yeah. I mean, I know actually the White House made an announcement while we were at HFMA, pushing all of us to as as healthcare as a healthcare industry yes. to be transparent about our billing and our
1: charges, and I think we're going to have to figure out that too.
0: I completely agree. Yeah, one it. of the
1: big, big news items right now is this surprise billing. Mm-hmm. You go into you go into a hospital and you come out with these bills because out of network, yeah. uh, some a complication has arisen, and you are really stymied when you get out.
10: Yeah, and actually, we've got a couple clients in that space, mm-hmm. and I have learned so much by talking to them. That you know, because I'm a big patient advocate, mm-hmm. and certainly mm-hmm. what patient wants a surprise bill, correct? But then learning <laughs> mm-hmm. the other side of that conversation mm-hmm. is really interesting. Maybe Justin fodder for a whole other show. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, and I agree that th- there's two sides of that coin. Because I mean, I hear it from both sides. I hear. I hear from the health systems that they don't have all you know all the data they want. They they want transparent bills, but they don't have access to that data until it's too late. They're getting random charges, and they're trying to consolidate everything. But as patients, we deserve it as well. We can't budget for our families. I mean, people cannot absorb a five thousand dollar. I mean, I have a I mean a family member who um, did stepped out of uh, out of her health plan, didn't realize she did, and then got a if she had she actually had insurance. But the health system did not accept her insurance. And she's like, well, then treat me at just going to do cash pay. No, nope, we know that you have insurance. And this is a local facility here, um, not some of has been on my radio show, um, but they would not because uh, I wouldn't let them. be, I don't like I think this is extremely unfair. They found out that she had insurance. We do not accept that insurance. And so we're going to now charge you $3,000 for just to stitch up a finger because wow. she went to an emergency room. Mm-hmm. and But she had full insurance, but they did not accept it. And so she they would not allow her to do a cash pay. A cash pay would have been like $1,100 for that visit. But because she had insurance, but they did not accept it, it's over $3,500. And
10: that's – you know what? that's not t- fair.
0: That's just –
10: And you know what? Here you go. So she told you that story. Yes. And now you're telling your listeners that story. Yes. So to the providers out there listening, patient financial satisfaction is huge. Yes. You know, what if we would have negotiated with your family member and said, okay, pay us cash. We'll take the 1100 Correct.
0: And she offered that. What and a much better it.
10: experience, yes. right? Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Everybody and what would a different story
10: you would have been telling right, right
0: now. Right. Yeah. And, well, and I gave her the advice because I know healthcare. I know policy. I told her she does not have to pay the $3, that $3,500. You negotiate hard line with them and just walk. Mm-hmm. And, and they, will, they will eventually accept it. But they're, they basically browbeat her. And wow. it was horrible. And so yeah. that's what that, that's what we're fighting for. I mean, on the transparency side, that's just not fair. That's a business practice. That right. is not a surprise bill or anything. That that was specifically the hospital's mm-hmm. fault because they would mm-hmm. not. So that we need to get away from.
10: And the surprise bills occur primarily in what you just mentioned. So emergency, radiology, yeah. and anesthesia in those yeah. three areas. And it's because – I think the number is around 60% to 70% of healthcare organizations outsource those functions. Right. Mm -hmm. So your anesthesiologist. Right. Mm -hmm. And so as a patient, how do I know Mm -hmm. that that emergency physician is not in my network? I'm going to, it's an emergency. Correct. I'm going to go to my emergency Mm -hmm. room that I know
1: is covered by my insurance, but I have no clue about that physician. And I think that onus should be on the hospital because if I go in as a networked person, I'm going to you because you're in my network, and then you throw all these non-network people at me. That that's yeah, there's something wrong with that.
0: Well, that's a piece we need. That's I mean, as a kind of like I just for my audience to educate is you can't. Healthcare is different today than it was ten years ago. That a lot of us grew up in. You cannot just walk, drive to the local facility or your closest facility. You have got, if, whatever your health plan is. You've got to research it, and you have mm-hmm. to know all that fine print. So that's like a public service <laughs> announcement right there. Because if not, you could very well get a five, ten, fifteen thousand dollar bill that you were not expecting by going to your closest facility. Mm-hmm. It's like when you get on the airplane, they say, "Hey, the closest door may be behind you, I mean, not not just in front of you." Um, you need to look at your, your bill I – mean, you need to look at your health plan and know what your costs are based on the facility that you visit because you could very well get a surprise bill.
10: Yeah, I think the whole surprise bill conversation, I think that for the layman and for people non-healthcare, it seems like a very simple thing to solve. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of downside risks as well as a lot of complications. Yep. And I agree with you, but I think the conversation starts with the hospital and all of those physician medical groups that they contract with. Mm-hmm.
0: Excellent, Beth Friedman, co-founder and CEO of Agency Ten Twenty Two. Thank you very much for joining us in the studio.
10: You're very welcome, and thank you for inviting me.
0: You are a terrific guest, and you gave us some fantastic content um, to even just think about. I mean, this was a, a great perspective, bringing the financial aspect. Um, so, thank you for rounding out our day very, very well. Anytime. Awesome. Thanks, Beth. Thanks and so. For the- yeah, not you? We're actually going to roll into the hymns preview. So why don't oh. you feel free to stay here she at might, the desk? She might okay.
1: Have some different. I have a couple questions for her.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. Great.
1: <laughs>
10: As a hymns veteran. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's I exactly. I think
1: you have a, a different angle of what we can talk about.
0: Yeah. No, and I'm, Denise
10: and I chatted in the lobby. <laughs> right. I saw her on her way out.
0: <laughs> well, Denise gave me a lot of my answers because that was the whole piece. Is I was going to try to get some of the updates from hymns and what's mm-hmm. coming up for for hymns twenty, but they have not released that yet. Um, mm-hmm. So, but I we were able to get. Some of that out of um, out of uh, Denise, and I'll cover that. But I do want to take a moment just for everybody. So make sure everybody's on the same page here. HIM's annual conference. uh, I did want to take a moment just to let everybody know it is a. If you can go, if you have the chance to go, or or hear my voice now and say, you know what, I'm going to check it out. You know, you will have between forty and forty five thousand industry experts all coming together, and, and leaders of all shapes and sizes. And I think that if you're if you want to grow. Your world in healthcare, be better at what you do, whether in the healthcare services side or the health IT side or innovation side, uh, HIMSS is certainly the place to go. I'm not employed by HIMSS. I have no formal affiliation by HIMSS, but I know it's be- it's made my industry so much better, made my expertise so much better, and uh, in- just my relationships. It's really where we all go. A lot of us, we just see each other once a year, and that is the HIMSS annual conference. It starts uh, March 6th. I think that's a Sunday. Go back to my notes here really quick with um, from Denise. Um, yeah, March. uh, So March 8th actually is when uh, him starts in Orlando. Uh, and as you heard my voice earlier and you heard us earlier, certainly book your hotel room soon, if not now, because you want to be close. If not, you can be three, four, five, six miles away. And that's not as much fun if you're trying to pack in a lot and you need to service your room or just get around. It's, you've got a lot of people, uh, condensed. And so you got a lot of buses and all that, but if you can walk to and from your hotel, I highly recommend it. So go ahead and book, uh, book your reservations. Uh, four hymns and join us there again. Forty to forty-five thousand people. I think some of the topics are what I'll cover really quick. I certainly will get. You, I would love to get you guys your perspectives mm-hmm. as well. Um, but and I think you've already heard a resounding theme today in the show. But patient engagement, patient empowerment, um, patient enablement. Uh, I think are going to be big things. And just consumerism, the, the continuous ramp up. And, and you know, you heard the clinical side. You heard Beth to talk about the financial side. But it is all about the patient, and we're going to see. I think much more of that. Um, I I love that term, the digital front doors come up by half of my guests as well, really seeing digital patient management and remote patient monitoring and telehealth and pre or post procedure management and and all that portal management. You heard even from the government how to integrate all that with the API. I think you're going to see much more of that uh, at HIMSS this year. Um, We're actually going to host a think tank. We're going to host another think tank. We've done that each year. And I think we're actually going to change it up and do a a think tank live on air. So we're actually going to wrap their whole radio show around the think tank and uh, and have a show similar today where we have, you know, a bunch of CEOs and, and CIOs and C-suite executives and other thought leaders really sharing best practices. So uh, be on the lookout for that. We'll either have it on that Monday or Tuesday of HIMSS. We're still pulling all that together. Uh, but, again, that's why you want to be there in the audience. Uh, you can certainly stream it, but we recommend being there in person but then I think also Denise brought up some good points, and I'll love you know for for you Beth and Roberta to share your thoughts. But I mean, what what Denise brought up is women in health IT, I think we're going to continue to see that theme. Um, even in her new, new role, she brought up patient experience, um, digital. You know, obviously the quest of digital health. We'll certainly see more of that health equity. Um, it's been a, something near and dear to Denise's heart, and I know that uh, it's been a, a big platform for Hims, uh, and so I think you're going to see some more announcements. Uh, and innovations on that at the annual conference. Social determinants of health, I think you're going to continue to see that advanced. Denise brought up some great uh, some great thought leadership around that. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll touch on that uh, as well uh, later in this show. Um, and then the positive change in healthcare. She brought that up as a key theme coming up. So she kind of let that one out of the bag a little bit. But uh, the positive change in healthcare and what we're going to see from social programs, what we're going to see in, in innovations. Uh, and I, I think that's great because I mean I love positivity. I love to uh, you know have the thought leadership around that, and I agree that's gonna be if that's gonna be a key theme coming in for hymns. I think uh, you know I'd love to see that. So, I mean, what do you think, Roberta?
1: Well, uh, well, a couple things. The three of us are here. I thought it was interesting because we all go for different reasons. You know, yeah. I, I'm a press. Um, I'm a press credentialed there, and I go and I talk to people for our our press side. You go, you keep up your certification, and you yep. go as as a, a member. Yep. <clears throat> but Beth here, she has clients, and w- what do you tell them? Why do you tell them to go to hymns? Well,
0: great question.
10: Well, you know, certainly it's for the exposure and brand awareness. Yeah, I mean, you've got the collection, Justin. You mentioned the largest group of professionals and now global professionals that are involved day to day with information technology in healthcare. Whether it's in a health system, whether it's in a physician practice or medical group, whether it's, you know, a long term care facility or, you know, ambulance, EMS. Mm -hmm. So it really it's that it's that collaboration of everybody in the entire ecosystem of healthcare is there. And if they're interested in any Type of technology—that's where they're going to go, and they're going there to look and see what's out there and what's available. So, if I, my client has something in that in any of those spaces, you know, they need to be there and they need to make a presence there. So uh, you know that's one of the reasons, and then second reason for my clients is um, we do their speaker abstracts as a PR company and as a marketing agency. Yep. So I think we submitted six this year, something like that, which is you know six of those nine hundred that Denise right. mentioned. So yes. we're we're anxiously waiting to see if we got accepted. But mm-hmm. a lot of our clients like to speak at Hems. Yes, mm-hmm. and so you know I think if if you're going to be an attendee and you hear a company executive or a provider that uses a product speak to it, then it's wonderful to also be able to go meet with that vendor after the speaking session. So I probably those two reasons are the most important for us.
1: And you have follow up with them. What, what's their experience after like you I, I think you've had a couple of first timers. I've actually interviewed mm. some of your uh, your clients there, and we so have. what? What is their after the deer in the headlights that they you know get over that?
0: <laughs> it's good.
1: What yeah. um what what is their
10: feedback? Well, it's always a journey, mm-hmm. right? Nobody, and I, I, I shouldn't say nobody. There's always going to be some exceptions. Very few mm-hmm. healthcare organizations are going to go to Hims ready to sign a contract. They're going to look at technology to meet with the vendors to understand what the different companies offer and to sort of compare them. Mm-hmm. So it really is the start of the journey. Mm-hmm. So for our clients, it usually you know, it's it could be in six to twelve months before somebody they meet at hymns might turn into a client for them. Mm-hmm. But it's about that initial relationship building and starting that journey. You know, they always have good experiences. I've not mm-hmm. had any client that's gone to hymns and said we're never going to go again. Once they start going, they keep mm-hmm. going.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing there, and I'll even follow on on that. HIMSS is what you make it that was kind of in my notes is that when I when someone says well why she what's the value of HIMSS I'm like you can achieve all of your goals going to HIMSS it gives you the platform now you may not be able to achieve them because you didn't do a good job executing but HIMSS gives you every thought most thought leaders of the industry are there mm-hmm. every big player is there Um, most of the major innovators that are making a difference are there and so you can get everything that you want out of hims. Investors are there. I mean, they have. I mean, I think they have seven hundred and eighty in the last the last Venture Connect. Seven hundred and eighty investors. These are huge. The biggest firms in healthcare are all there, um, looking at every the perspective. Yeah, too. the government's there. Mm-hmm. So every every um, thought leader, um, interested key uh, key interested party is there. And so you can go there and you can do your networking. You can do your education. You can. Um, you know, get your exposure. Uh, you can learn. I, I do it because, A, we always broadcast the radio show there. But I, um, I learn. Um, I get to see people that I, you know, I maybe hasn't, haven't seen in two or three years or 10 years. Um, and you, you keep your finger on the pulse. Mm-hmm. So you really do see how healthcare is evolving, where it's evolving, what innovations are coming up next, what people are achieving. I think one thing I'm excited for this year, and you started to see a glimpse of it last year and I mentioned this earlier, is technology-enabled outcomes. We're really starting to see where the rubber meets the road and where innovation is really assisting care uh, and then what, what's, the, what's the outcome of that? Because it takes years for some of this stuff to come into play, and now we're starting to get some of those results. And every year is going to get better, and that's what I think I'm going to, you know, experience this year uh, going to him. So
10: one of the things you brought it up earlier today, Justin, was to see Uber and Lyft mm-hmm. have such a huge presence yeah. at Hims. I mean, five years ago, Justin, if I would have said to you right. that that was going to happen, <laughs> yes. you'd be like, no way, <laughs> no, right? Correct. correct. So. And it's kind of – for me, I like seeing these outside healthcare companies making a play in healthcare because I like to see where their mind is, where they think they can assist healthcare. It doesn't always work. We've seen a lot of failures, right? But. It's interesting to see them. Like I just um, heard an interview with the the health guru at Uber talking about Mm -hmm. social determinants Mm -hmm. and food deserts. Yes. Well, now can we use these Uber rides to deliver food to the patients that we know can't get to the grocery, aren't getting healthy food? Mm -hmm. Let's make a food prescription and let's deliver it. That's right. Let's deliver Mm -hmm. the drugs, not get the patients to the pharmacy, but get the the pharmacy to the patient.
0: That's right. So I'll even pick up on that. I was out in Arizona. Oh gosh! Now it was probably five years, four years ago, um, and we were taking. We we actually jumped in an Uber, and it was like nine dollars for my Uber ride, and it it was a great, you know, great value. And then. I think I was still asking him about his business model or something. because this is when Uber was still new in the area? He's like, yeah, I do this, but I mainly drive for a h- hospital because I can p- charge $50 a ride or $150 a ride depending upon the ride. By Uber. So that shows up the inflated cost. He's like the uh, same exact drive, same exact ride, but I can charge 10x because it's healthcare." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, this is why we need Uber you know, and Lyft in our industry because yeah. those, that, that model doesn't make sense. It's the exact same driver, exact same car. It's just can charge ten times more because it's quote unquote healthcare. Right. And we enable that in our society. And and so that's why, you know, I saw Lyft last year, you know, as one of the big partners for HIMS, you know, I was I was I just remember this example of the guy literally the same exact ride, you just charge ten times more because it's a healthcare yeah. ride.
10: So yeah. saying those disruptors at hims yes, is exactly. for <laughs> me, it's kind of energizing and I find it very I'm curious, right? So I find it very interesting.
0: Very cool. And speaking of disruptor, Dr. Sylvan Waller, (laughs) entrepreneur, phenomenal, just long-term friend of mine, but a great innovator in our town, in our city. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much, Justin. Appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity to be here. You got it. So we're actually doing a um we have about five minutes left of our HIMSS preview show. But uh, but you've been to HIMSS, so why don't you chime in? What do you why do you attend the HIMSS annual conference and, and you know, will you go this year if you have the opportunity?
11: Yeah, definitely. I mean I think it was one of the first opportunities I had to be able to see a lot of different players in the healthcare technology and innovation space. Mm-hmm. Um really interesting for me to be able to see, you know, what new technologies and new companies are coming out. That's you know definitely the space I play in. Uh, And so really important to be able to make those connections. And a lot of those connections I made from some of my early hymns, right, when I was much smaller than I was today, but some of the early conferences that I went to, those relationships, both personal and professional, have have lasted and I've collaborated with many of those people over the years. Um, So super valuable for me
0: individually. It's excellent. That's a great testimony right there. Yeah, this is my 20, this is my 22nd year going to hymns. So not that I'm that old. I'm only 31 so i mean i've been going since i was what
10: your dad 11? was taking <laughs> you <My
0: dad>, exactly <laughs>
10: <laughs> I actually did take my son when he was about three years old, so there you go. Oh, that's great,
0: <laughs> <laughs> love it. Was it in like Orlando or something? Where was it? You I think
10: it was. Yeah, yeah we right. did the whole Disney thing a fun after. Thing, yeah. yeah,
0: a fun time. That's great. Um, so what do you? So what are your additional thoughts on hymns? I mean, and, and you go every year because you you have a great perspective as well, being in radio. Well, and interview.
1: Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, our media uh, going going as press, yeah. I ha- I have to go and um, keep up with the industry. It is the biggest one. Yes, it, it, by far. And yeah. so we go in as press. We um, interview people. We do, you know, we we you do my live broadcast, broadcast a, yeah. yeah. We broadcast the uh, shows. We're going to do some more of that. We're going to do a lot more radio next year. Um, we've decided that's a, that's it. Yep. Everybody wants to talk on the radio now. Yep. Um, but yeah, the it, it's the pulse. I mean, when I go there, I go there with three objectives. I that I look at and say, all right, these are the trends coming up. I got to see what people are saying, and then we report on that going out. And we keep we keep it. Like in our thoughts in the pre- on the press side, you know, yeah. in there. So, it's
0: excellent, mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, any final comments or thoughts from you, Beth, or on hymns, or any, or even H- I mean, even HFMA is a great conference too. We don't mm-hmm. want to forget the financial mm-hmm. component of our of our industry. I've been going to HFMA. Probably, actually, the first conference I ever went to in healthcare was HFMA be
10: Very honest. cool. Yeah, no, nothing. I Just on a feedback from HFMA, something very interesting they did this year, and and, and it had mixed reviews, mm-hmm. but the vendors all got sort of the standard basic booth. Like you had to get your booth from the convention hall. So, you know, when you go to Hymns in some ways yes. it's like a circus, right? Yes, like yes. RSNA is the same way. So, bigger and better,
0: bigger and better, but, you know, three-story, yeah. but it's crazy. So, it,
10: you know, I could see but it, but it kind of homogenized all the vendors so it was really interesting because mm-hmm. sort of the startup companies right. looked almost just the same as the big guys That's and right. what it, i think that at the end of the day what it resulted in is many more intelligent conversations about the patterns and trends it was highly i would say it was more intellectual wow. than it was sales speak it's excellent and i thought you know at first i was like curious about it and not sure of being a marketing person sure but at the end of the three days i actually thought it was a really unique way to think about that and it makes me Makes me think: Could hymns ever do that? I don't right. know that we could.
0: <laughs> I don't know. But, but yeah. it
10: was
1: uh, quite what's, a unique what's take. What's the size? So, how many people go to that conference? Yeah, maybe
10: um, mm-hmm. somewhere between uh, four and five thousand, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. But they had, you know, just these. Everybody had sort of the same booth, you right. know. Yeah. So it became much more about the conversation yeah. than about what the giveaway was or the promotion right. or you know whatever mm-hmm. it was that they were doing in the booth. I love it, and I thought it was really yeah. unique. And then they they interspersed the um, the booths with lots and lots of tables. To sit and have conversations, mm. so I thought it was fantastic.
0: That's that's
11: excellent. Hims is always the uh, kid in the candy store, right? You get to see all the new technology, <laughs> yeah. the giant booths, yeah. um, and certainly lots of buzz around that. So. Yeah, and
0: if you've never, I mean, that's something you can not even prepare someone for. I mean, it's, I mean, if you are, in and, and Denise brought up how forty percent of attendees each year are new, first-time attendees. You walk into hymns, you can't. There's no way to prepare somebody for what you're going to see. I mean, you're going to see, you know, twenty thousand people at any given time, hustling, bustling. These three-story booths. These things cost an enormous amount of money, um, and there's you don't know forty, fifty, sixty people working in that booth and in, in, in the hustling, and uh, and then just the traffic and the large scale, the mammoth scale of hymns. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna put on 20,000 steps a day walking around. I mean, we joke. We don't joke because when I, when I was, when I was uh, working full time and, and trying to do these meetings in the morning and for the EHR Association, then running back to the booth, it's a mile from mm-hmm. where they stick our office in our meetings and then getting back to the booth. And so you got to plan for that. You don't just w- walk out of a meeting at 830 and then walk in another one at 8, 845. You, it's longer than a 15-minute walk or you have to plan. It's a 20-minute, half-an-hour walk from that meeting because you're also going to see people that the whole aspect is you're going to see 10, 15, 20 people that you know on the way back you're to say oh I'll see you next time we haven't mm-hmm. seen them in five years and you love them and it's like oh my gosh so you got to stop and talk to them and yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a, you have to prepare somebody for hymns, but I highly recommend the phenomenal experience and yeah. opportunity.
10: Extra time and extra pair of shoes.
0: Very true. And comfortable <laughs> shoes. Yeah. Comfortable Definitely. shoes. And one of the first, one of the first times I went was with uh, one of the folks that you interviewed
11: earlier today, Bird Blitch. Oh yes. Um, so again, you know, he was able to sort of guide me through the process and say, come here, um, let's go over here. Let me introduce you to a few folks here. Here's sort of the lay of the land. And that was very helpful as well. As, Were you, you know, in the baby. Georgia yeah.
1: Pavilion with him?
11: Uh, no. when I the One of the first times I went, uh, it was just getting to see him as I'd never been before. So he was good to sort of take me around and show me what was going on.
1: Because uh, I met him in the Georgia Pavilion.
0: You did? Bird. Bird. Oh, met, met Bird. Bird. Yes. He yeah. was in there for yeah. the first several years. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. actually Greenway supported it the first year. So did right. Patient Co. There's a couple of people mm-hmm. from that yeah. early on um, mm-hmm. had finished booths here. Well, guys, thank you very much. You're more than welcome to stay in studio. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want, we're going to... We're going to transition over to Dr. Sylvan Waller, a long-term friend of mine, a great innovator and entrepreneur in town, chief medical officer of Health Lab, but you have lots of different titles, um, but that's the one we'll use today. Sounds good. So, um, but tell me what you're up to now. Let's give on my audience 30 seconds a minute on what you're up to. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. So, um, I provide primarily advisory
11: services for high growth healthcare technology companies. Um, and I've uh, been doing that for a number of years and love the space. Um, I've been able to collaborate with you on a couple of oh, things yeah. along the way, and that's been great as well. Uh, but primarily, you know, helping uh, healthcare technology companies understand how to collaborate with larger partners how to you know find product market fit uh, help help them refine their strategies around what they're doing and then a lot of times you know build the services so they may have some really smart folks who come from the technology side of things but they're moving into healthcare and they're really looking for deep healthcare expertise and i always say uh, you know pairing technology uh, and how engineers think about problem solving with folks who have deep healthcare expertise is incredibly powerful and you get really unique solutions. Uh, And I think that's sort of, you know, where some of the companies that I've seen have really made significant inroads into solving some of the major problems in healthcare today. So primarily doing, um, you know, advisory work for Mm -hmm. high growth healthcare technology companies, and then uh, also operate as a venture partner with uh, shadow labs. um, And uh, we're putting on our summit on September 17th and 18th. Uh, And so we will be speaking about the future of healthcare there with a focus on technology as well um and you know any anyone who has specific questions about that they can reach me um you know after the show and be happy to be able to connect them and give them more information
0: yeah i'll be out of town but i would love to have uh, participated and certainly want to support it so you guys have what's the name of this uh, shadow ventures is their health day or what What is? say one more time yeah so shadow ventures
11: is the organization mm-hmm. um and then we're putting on a summit shadow yep. summit that's it shadow summit yep. on september 17th and 18th and Shadow Ventures really started on the commercial real estate side. So Build Tech with uh, mm-hmm. KP Ready. Yeah. Uh, and then we are launching our healthcare lab. And so uh, the 18th, when we're talking about sort of the future of healthcare, um, we'll be talking about the launch of our healthcare lab as well. And we're really looking at bringing innovators and large healthcare enterprises together, helping large enterprises be able to innovate a little bit closer, con- you know, a little Excellent. bit faster, connect yes. them with uh, healthcare technology companies.
0: Love it. And I'll just you know give a plug for you personally i mean i really we try to do we were working on a venture together and, and um, we couldn't pull it together because of uh, the, the china um you know they couldn't pull their side together but i will say dr waller what's great about you and why i really wanted to work with you in that venture and, and i know we will do some stuff together i'm sure in the future is you have great deep expertise um extremely smart and agile with how you think but then also you get your hands dirty and so you can and you can operate so it's not just so you have great wisdom and, and, and vision but also you operate and so that's why you would have, we would have been great partners uh, you know you've been a great chief medical officer in that deal and co-founder so well
11: thank you very much and i appreciate the opportunity to be able to collaborate on the healthcare think tank that we've done over yeah. the years as well oh so. that's
0: right we've worked a lot you've been a phenomenal partner yeah, there that's so yeah been great so, yeah, I do. Want, I, we haven't brought that up at all, but I think so. We did. Um, we will uh, um, have another think tank coming up probably the first week or the second week of November. Great. Um, we're going to do it in person, but also we're going to allow for virtual dial-ins as well. Um, so we're going to expand our collaboration. Uh, then we do another one at HIMSS uh, as well. And we're going to do that kind of maybe even on air. So we're going to have some fun. So it's going to be a big, uh, a busy six months, but you've been a phenomenal partner in that from day one, you've supported the, the think tank and all that we've been able to build there. So thank you for that.
11: Yeah, I, I appreciate it. And I appreciate the comment. I mean, I think the fun for me is both helping companies with their strategy, but a lot of times these, you know, small healthcare technology companies are looking for folks who've been there, done that yes. and have deep operational experience. And so having been chief medical officer, CEO of a number of different high growth healthcare technology companies, yeah. you can, you know, I, I always tell some of the folks that I work with, you know, I've seen the movie before. Um, <laughs> so, I can help guide you through, exactly. you know, avoiding some of those pitfalls. Um, and that's really the, you know, the fun for me is to be able to help guide some of these companies and uh, help them both avoid those pitfalls, but accelerate their growth and their go-to-market strategy as well.
0: It's excellent. So, from your perspective, what healthcare or health IT trends are you seeing in the industry? Yeah, we've talked a little bit
11: about it before, but I still strongly believe in the the sort of macro trend around consumerism. Mm-hmm, for sure, um, and uh, I think you know consumerism goes beyond sort of price transparency and sort of the one point version that you know was prevalent a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and Accenture had a good report out out recently talking about sort of you know the healthcare consumer is here. Um, and I think it's taken a long time to get to this point. Uh, but healthcare consumers are really looking for, you know, they're looking for access. They're looking for transparency. They're looking for efficiency. Um, and, you know, in some of the uh, information I've seen in, in the industry recently, when they look at sort of the demographics, it was really interesting to see that, you know, most folks are dissatisfied or very dissatisfied with the existing healthcare infrastructure. And a lot of it comes down to access, you know, still 30 days to see your primary care doctor. You've yes, heard me, you yes. know, quote that before. Um, But that's a major dissatisfier for most folks when they have a, you know, a question for somebody. Um, and they need a medical professional to answer that. And they potentially need, you know, diagnosis and prescription. It's really hard to get. So we've really seen the rise of non-traditional, um, you know, modalities of care. And I think, you know, when we talk about sort of future trends, a lot of dissatisfaction with our uh, current system. Uh, an interesting fact, you know, 85% of baby boomers have a primary care physician. Um, 65% yes. of millennials have Correct. a primary care physician. Correct. And Gen yes. Z, born after 1997, it's like 50%. And most folks, you know, Gen Z and and that group, when you talk to them, they don't want a primary care physician. Right. So they're thinking about healthcare from a totally different perspective. And I think we really need to make sure that as we're developing solutions for these folks – We take advantage of that um, in a positive way, meaning we're trying to deliver services to them, but we don't gate it based on a primary care physician. We're bringing the services to them when they want it, when they need it to solve their problems.
0: No, I actually helped start a company uh, here in Georgia, Hip Nation. I mean, that's exactly they're providing services on call for members of their health plan. And yeah. that's and uh, I mean, it's exactly it's all it's on demand care. You can go in person, you can go vis- secure message, you can do a virtual visit, but it's all on demand. It's it's trying to address this. It's addressing all three of those demographics and yeah. sectors because care has changed. And, you know, the the old your father's health care, as we, we were talking about earlier, their their children don't want it. Um, yeah. They want care differently. And we with, we have to serve it up the way that they want it served up.
11: Yeah. And so I, th- I think there's an interesting quote, you know, I've heard many times sort of saying, <clears throat> you know, the future is here. It's just unevenly distributed. It's and a, so when you think about things point. like Kip Nation and other companies yeah. that are, you know, providing those services on demand when people need them, that's very different than, you know, a traditional primary care doctor's office. And so I think a big part of it is You know, consumerism, the trends, the continued trends around consumerism and adapting healthcare to those consumers instead of the other way around asking consumers to adapt to, (laughs) you know, how we deliver care today.
0: Very good point. You just covered some of this, but what are a couple of best practices or strategies that you can share to help people navigate those trends?
11: Yeah, I think it's, you know, a big part of it is around new models of care. So not thinking about sort of the traditional big box. And, you know, I had a colleague, um, you know, from Piedmont Healthcare um, who I talked to, and I know you had uh, one of their team members, one of their execs here yeah. earlier today. But they really talked about sort of, you know, a Chick-fil-A model um, and that, you know, the old school model. Was this is, Matt? This was Matt.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Matt, go, oh, yeah,
11: so, that's great. So as you think about, you know, consumers um, in their communities, If you have a big hospital, sort of the big box model, and you're asking all these consumers to come to the hospital, it creates, you know, all these barriers to care and friction because people have to come there. It creates, you know, queuing problems or scheduling issues. But if you bring the care directly to those patients in their community, right, like Chick-fil-A, getting out there, providing services where they're needed, um, you know, that's really valuable. And so, you know, again, I – I think that definitely resonates with a lot of consumers now who are looking at how do I get access that's near me? If it's, you know, if I've cut my hand and I need to get something stitched up, it's going to urgent care. But for a lot of the questions that are out there, it's how do I access care in a way where it's super convenient, right? It's on my phone. Then we started with, right, you know, founded mm-hmm. uh, a company years ago that was really focused on sort of telehealth and focusing on video. Um, we've seen a transition now to much more chat-based, integrating AI into what's going on. But those alternative models of care are really powerful, and that's where we're seeing significant traction with consumers these days. So
1: where would your point of data be? It w- if you have, if you have spread all this out and you don't have a, a primary care, where would be, where would your data reside?
11: That's a great question. I mean, I think there's a big push to be able to give consumers access to that data and say, it doesn't, you know, it's not Epic's data. It's not McKesson's data. It's not a health systems data. It's the consumer's data. Um, That problem hasn't been successfully solved yet, right? Mm -hmm. Health Vault and things like that that Microsoft came out with years ago didn't have a lot of consumer adoption because it wasn't really consumer friendly. Apple obviously is T- you know tackling that now and saying we want to be able to create the type of solutions where you can store all your health data here so we know you know where you've been as a uh, as a patient mm-hmm. who you're uh, getting care from but more and more the coordination of that for not for super complex care but for day-to-day bread and butter mm-hmm. more and more of that is being put on the consumer and they want to be able to coordinate some of that they don't they don't do it you know, We talk about population health. They don't do it in the most coordinated fashion, but they want to be empowered to know this is their data. They can control where it lives uh, and that they have access to it.
0: But I can actually – yeah, so I'll pick up on that just from a standpoint of what I heard today. Um, and I, So there's two answers. I would say blockchain is going to help us with the, the security of that data, but now in the application layer, the API – Basically, what we brought up, you know, the mm-hmm. ONC talk, spoke about in, in depth uh, today mm-hmm. is uh, is opening up these APIs and forcing mm-hmm. these APIs and for us to share yeah. this data at the consumer level. The consumers need to be able to do this through their mm-hmm. apps. Right. And this and I think API is going to be in fire and these standards are going to be driving that uh, and um, empowering it. And so I think those two – and then but you have to use blockchain and you have to use security in there as well um, because we want to make sure this – you know, the, mm-hmm. the data – is is tagged securely, and we we need access to it, but it's got to be stored securely.
11: Yeah, absolutely. And I think well, that was one of the chan- challenges of health vault early on was you know they didn't have the interoperability that they needed. Right. They didn't have blockchain to be able to provide the privacy and security. Yeah. Um, and consumers overwhelmingly still go for a convenience over privacy and security. They do until they have an issue, right. and then they come back and go, oh, two factor authentication. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, a blockchain solution for their medical records. Um, you know that becomes more important after they've had a problem. Right. So our job is to build. Solutions That are private and secure and still give accessibility.
0: That's excellent. So in our closing uh, few minutes, uh, thinking beyond today, what do you see as a key strategy or trend that we must be ready to successfully navigate in three years from now?
11: You know, I think um, there's the old adage, right, of, you know, everything that goes up must come down. Um, we have continued to see healthcare spending go up year mm-hmm. over year. And I think all the industry experts see healthcare spending continue to trend up over the next several years. In the short term, I don't think everybody, anybody's seeing you know right. a significant downward trend of that. Right. But when you include all the different stakeholders and you begin to, and, and again, it's not new, but the concept of moving from you know a sick care system to really a healthcare system mm-hmm. focusing more on preventive medicine. Um, but doing so in a way that is, you know, again, providing care to the patient, you know, at the time that they need it. And so Verda Health, right, Iora, and some of these other models that are saying we'll provide comprehensive care, but we're really going to focus on preventive services, um, right? It's the idea of not necessarily narrow networks, but being able to bring, um, right, the, the right type of preventive care to the patient when they need it or utilizing – technology to be able to deliver it to them when they don't even know that they need it um, and one of the you know one of the folks that I've worked with in the past has some really interesting technology where they can passively monitor what's going on through your smartphone and based on these digital biomarkers that they have they can really determine you know how you're doing uh, they can determine when an intervention might be needed and I think that type of appropriate passive monitoring and delivering, uh, technology and solutions to patients when they need it, even if they don't know when they Mm -hmm. need it, um, will become a bigger and bigger part of what we see.
0: That's excellent. And in your first part you brought up, um, I think Beth even kind of touched on that as well, where we are going to have to see something significantly change here on the payment side and, and how care is delivered. And she brought up that, uh, you know, not within three years, but within 10 years, we could see the, the fee for service gone. Yeah. And just really managing the patient and, and the entire cost. I, it, The term is out there. It's cap. You just have it's a capitated model, or it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a risk-based model, and it's all in, under one scope. And so you're you're paid to, to manage people, and and that's it. I mean, there's no bill for this, and bill for that, and bill for this, and bill for that, and and surprise billing. It's just you know it's going to be managed much differently. And I think I agree with that. I mean, I I had not thought of it from that perspective, but I do believe we will get away from fee for service in five to seven years. We'll see a glide path within three to five years.
11: Yeah. And I've been saying that three to five years for quite a while now that, you know, value-based care is coming, you know, pay for performance (laughs) is coming. So I'm a little more pessimistic around that, Correct. I did spend a lot of time in DC over the last couple of years, really, you know, working with legislators to be able to make some changes to Medicare to see about, you know, getting alternative payment arrangements put in place. And I think- the regulatory landscape and the reimbursement landscape do have to keep up, and I think that's one of the other key things that we'll see over the next three to five years. Um, you know, consumer behavior is changing, the models of care are changing, closer collaboration between payers and providers, and at, at the end of the day, the regulatory and reimbursement yeah. really has to keep up with that in order for us to deliver on the value proposition here. Um, and that's the part that I'm really excited about, and that's what I'm seeing with a lot of these early stage companies.
0: That's excellent. Very good. Dr. Waller, thank you very much for joining us in studio, my friend. It's Absolutely. Always great my to see pleasure.
11: You. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, if people do have questions or want to discuss any more uh, about this, they can always reach out to me and um, I'll be happy to help and answer any questions I can.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And that is a wrap. What a great three hours! Again, I can't believe I decided to do a three-hour live broadcast, <laughs> but um, but it all it well it worked out. It always does. You guys are phenomenal partners. I mean, uh, Stone Peyton uh, and uh, and Roberta Mullins. Thank you very much. You guys have been with me from day one and have supported all of my crazy endeavors. So uh, thank you very much, and thank you to everyone for joining us today. And just a reminder to please tune in weekdays at two thirty p.m. Eastern, eleven thirty a.m. Pacific to hear all of our latest shows. Uh, if you miss any part of this show. This is all going to be rebroadcast and certainly packaged up uh, and looking forward to that. And I want to certainly thank my show partners, Lenovo and Lenovo Health, Intel and Intel Health, Rama on Healthcare, Healthcare Now Radio, and Business Radio X. Uh, Without all of you guys, uh, this show would not exist. And certainly HIMSS. HIMSS has been great to me through all the many, many years. Um, So I want to make sure I uh, plug uh, HIMSS as well, the HIMSS organization. Um, and just to thank you for listening for the last three hours. And again, all of this will be available uh, to you uh, over the next coming weeks on SoundCloud and Apple iTunes and iHeartRadio and Spreaker and Google Play and TuneIn. Um, and again, you can track me on Twitter at HIT Advisor and use the hashtag ThisJustinRadio so we can respond to your comments from the show. Uh, And just again, let us know your thoughts. Uh, Feel free to tweet at us or um, on any social platform. You can certainly reach out to us. We're there. Uh, And you also can check out JustinBarnes.com. We've launched a new website there. Uh, Thanks, everyone. Have a terrific week and the rest of your day.